Welcome to the Border Outdoors Podcast. I'm Mac. I'm Seth. And I'm Joe. And Joe's back. Hey, Joey. If you guys don't remember, Joe was on uh, a couple months ago. He talked a lot about uh, dog training. Um, this time, we're kind of in un- unexplored waters, I guess, if you want to say. We've never talked about this topic yet, or even brought it up for the most part. Is We're going to talk grouse hunting. Yep. I've, I've actually I've gone one time. And there's a pretty funny story that goes with that. Nice. I'll just, I'll break right into it. So I went up to uh, like Park Rapids area and up by Itasca. My cousins used to have some potlatch land that we were hunted on, deer hunted on. So I went up there with my brothers <laughs> and it's just, you know, thick brush. So they're walking in the thick brush and I'm on the trail. Yep. And I've never done it before. I'm like 13, 14, like I'm pretty young and we're walking and. All of a sudden, they're just yelling my name, and I'm like, what? They're like, where are you? I'm like, I'm right here. I'm like, walking with you. <laughs> well, their story is I was like 50 yards behind them, okay. and all these grouse were flying over the trail, and they're yep. just like, perfect shot, and then I didn't You never even shooting. saw them. Or, yeah. yeah, and then all of a sudden, I got up to where they were, and I shot one. Well, I, I was always duck hunting before, so I went up, and it was still kicking. So what do you do when it's still kicking? I grabbed by the head, started start spinning it around, spinning around yeah. and all of a sudden, the head fell off. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, the head fell off. <laughs> and Mitch is like, well, pick it up. <laughs> but, so. They're a little more delicate than a waterfall species. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been looking up a couple of YouTube videos on it. Just some guy up in, like, northern Michigan. and He's got uh, Britney's. What did you, what you have? Uh, I've got. I've got a setter, an English setter, and a German wire hair, and then a lab. Yep. Do you think, do you have a preference with one for grouse? Uh, for the way I hunt. As far uh, as the pointers go, I guess. Is, for the way I hunt, I prefer setters and like English pointers. I love my wire hair. She does a great job. Um, she's a little closer ranging. Okay. So, which is fine. But mm-hmm. for the, the type of hunting I do, I like a dog where they're pushing the edge of bell range. When we're running, I run sure. a, I'll run a bell on my dog, and uh, I like them right on the edge of that bell range. Yep. I find that the farther out, well, not necessarily the farther out, but the quicker they're moving and, you know, in a safer distance away from me, when they come across the bird and they can get that bird pinned, it gives me that much more time to get up into it Okay. and find it before the bird moves on. If you've got a dog that's moving slower yep. and cautious... From my experience with the dogs that I've hunted over, when that happens, the birds are a lot more jumpy the closer you get to them. Oh, they'll, okay. They'll flush a lot further out. Almost like they have time to sense yep. what's yep. coming. They'll, they'll move out a lot quicker. Okay. They'll move outside of a dog. Sure. And just keep going. But if the dog gets in there quick, they just hunker in like, yep. oh, yep. better hide, you know? Yep. Um, I, I was really surprised, you know, a couple years back when you started hitting grouse and woodcock and stuff so much with the pointers because, you know... I've really never thought a grouse would hold that well for pointing dogs, but they do pretty good for the most part, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, if if I was brand new and looking to get into it and was going to pick my, my new dog and decide what I'm going to do, you know, 
more people that are the most of the people that I see out there are hunting with flushers. Yep. And you know, they shoot a lot of birds. Sure. But when I hunt with a, with a flusher, you know, I've got to constantly see the dog, right. where the dog is. You know, I got to be able to tell when the dog's getting birdie. Yes. Cause you know, that dog is going to be right on top of the bird when it starts to get birdie. Yep. And that bird's going to come out. Yep. Well, if I can't see my dog and tell my dog's getting birdie, you know, I, I could be looking one way and my dog's 20 feet to the left and a bird goes out to my left yep. and I'll never see it. Yeah. It's the same or, as walking without yep. a dog at that but point. If, you know, if I've got a pointer on the ground and that dog establishes point and it's facing in a direction and you can tell which way the wind's coming from, I know where that bird should be. Right. And I can walk in and attempt to flush that bird out. Yep. So I'm kind of already ready picking shooting lanes like where i'm going to be able to actually swing my gun or point my gun because a lot of the times you can't swing right it's just a snapshot when you come up you know yep so 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 go back here a little bit on like your your process that you were kind of explaining so you said a flusher so is that like a lab labs um, uh springers cockers um i've seen guys hunt with like clumber spaniels okay uh chesapeake's so it's just a wide variety besides like yep. the pointers or the German short hairs, yep. the Weimanheimers. Uh, a Brittany is a pointer. Yep. Okay. And then like go back on that last part you're talking about, like with the wind. Does the, is the wind a factor with oh, grouse, big, grouse big, hunting? Big time, big time. So when you're hunting, you 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 either want to want to hunt with, headed into the wind, or I like to hunt at a crosswind. Because then the dog's not so much going left to right as it is is out and back, out and back. Okay. Especially, you know, not even for grouse hunting, but like if we're pheasant hunting or if we're sharp tail mm-hmm. hunting. And you're not always going to be able to walk into the wind because, you know, places are usually a square or a rectangle shape. So you're going to have wind, good wind for about half of it and bad wind for the other half. Well, if I can walk on a crosswind... And my dog's pushing in and out, in and out. It's still going to be able to scent that bird no matter what, as opposed to running with the wind and where the wind's at my back. And then the dog will have to push out even farther and hunt back towards me to yeah. get its face in the wind. So yeah, you're you're facing the wind for the for the dog to be able to smell it, yep. not for them getting up into the wind no. type type stuff. Nope. Okay, I guess that does make sense. What's um. When uh maybe we, let's back up a little further yeah. quick. So yep. let's talk about grouse, the bird itself, and some of the grouse you've hunted or that we have here in the Midwest or specifically Minnesota. Okay. So let's start with rough grouse. That's probably the most common, correct? Yep. So yeah, rough grouse are the most common grouse in Minnesota. Um, I think the last time I saw for as far as harvest numbers, I think the DNR says that we average a half a million birds each year. Wow. For harvest Jeez. numbers, and I can almost guarantee you that. Over 50% of those birds, if not a lot more, come from guys just road hunting. Sure. Driving up and down the roads or walking up and down a logging trail. Yep. You know, early in the morning or that last little bit of sunlight. Yep. Um, I don't run into a whole lot of guys that are specifically out there doing it with dogs. Mm-hmm. And if they are, a lot of them are flushers. There's, It's kind of a smaller group of guys that get out and do it with pointers and setters. Right. Um, we have spruce grouse, which you're not going to find... As far south as rough grouse, they're going to be up in the spruce, sure. you know, up in the boreal forest. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of where you can, probably up by like, uh, let's see, Red Lake. 
Okay. And north. Yep. And then east towards Duluth and yep. Up, up yeah, because like I've heard Ely. of guys get them around Ely and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Boundary Waters. Yep. There's supposedly have a lot. I've never targeted them, and I've never seen one, but I've never hunted those in areas. areas. Yeah, sure. Yep. Let's see, and then we have sharp tails, which are prairie bird. Um, now Minnesota prairies are different than like the Dakota prairies or the prairies of the West, like Montana, Wyoming. Um, our birds in Minnesota are on kind of like fringe country. So you'll have some open grass and then there'll be willows Mm -hmm. and then you'll have chunks of timber. Like where we hunt them up by Thief River, they'll be, yeah, it's kind of, it's swampy country. Sure. That's why there's a lot of willows. Yep. But, but they'll sit in the willows during the day. Oh, okay. To get out of like the sun and they'll be sitting in the shade in the willows. Yep. But it's not, we don't have the expanses that the West does. Sure. And we have a little bit more diversity in our habitat. Mm-hmm. So when you, if you go from hunting them in like North Dakota, South Dakota, and then come to Minnesota, it's a completely different game. Gotcha. Um, North Dakota, South Dakota, you're just, you're walking. Right. It's. Miles and miles of rolling prairie. Sharp tails in the west like rolling topography. Sure. And they'll be on the on the hillsides or on the edges. Okay. And they're feeding on buffalo berries, uh, snow bush, um, eyebrush crayons. Okay. And like here, you know, we have, you get up by Thief River where the biggest population is. It's like Crookston, Thief River, yep. and north of there. And, uh, you know, you got small grains, you've got corn, you've got beans, and you have... You have native forage. Yep. But a lot of it is like crop ground and you'll find them right on the edges. Where sure. The, where the crop starts to meet the timber. Yeah. It was uh, right before we started the podcast, I told you we were up there visiting family. Yep. Got yep. family in Crookston. And my lab got birdie in the ditch and I just thought, oh, they're probably a pheasant in the in the ditch or whatever. And then all of a sudden, Sharpie started getting up. Yep. And then I think he, uh, you know, one flushed, uh, he, he kind of chased it to the road, turned around, went back in the bean field. It was a bean field right in the corner of it. But like you said, it was right on the edge, uh, right where it intersected with a little patch of woods on one side of it. And um, yeah, it just surprised me to see them in even a bean field, you know? Yep. Yeah, I'm like, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. Like when, when I'm hunting up north, northwestern Minnesota for sharp tails, you know, we find sharp tails and rough girls in the same cover. Oh, weird, man. So, I mean, you'll go in and we had, we had two spots that we hunted last year where I shot both species out of the same cover. That's crazy to me. Because because explain what a, a, a rough grouse, where you might find those. So rough grouse are typically a forest bird. Um, they like young secessional habitat. So like clear cuts, th- the thicker the better for grouse. Yep. Um, you don't typically find them out on like crop edges or out in the grass. I mean, if you get like on the edge of their home range... So, like in Minnesota, we have birds down in like southeastern Minnesota, like a small population. Oh, really? They you, go all you, the way down? Yep, you can hunt them down there. There's not a huge population. I've never hunted them in southeastern Minnesota, but I know I've talked to guys that have hunted them in like the Whitewater area, mm. the Whitewater WMA. Yep. They say there's birds in there. Okay. And then like down along Rochester, down to Houston and all that. They pretty much follow that river basin. So, we'll, there's a huntable population down there, but not... Nothing like we have in northern Minnesota. Okay. So if you were to draw a line in northern Minnesota, I would probably start kind of up by the Sherburn Refuge. Yep. And angle. Oh, that close, huh? Yep. I mean, there's not a lot. You'll see them, but there's not a lot. Yeah. I've, like, I wouldn't, 
if I was coming from another state, I wouldn't spend all my time right there. Right. <laughs> we'll put it that way. You might you might find a couple, but I would I wouldn't waste my time there. But if you draw a line northeast to God, let's say ooh. like Malax area. Oh yeah, the, I hunt Malax a lot. Really? Yep. That's where I do most of my hunting because it's close to home and I don't have to drive so far. Yeah. If I'm going away for a weekend, I'll go further. But if I'm only going out for a day, like for a couple hours, Mille Lacs area is what I'm where I'm going. And there's a lot of state land around there oh, yeah, that you're big able time. to access. Yep. And that and that uh is that a lot of that's a lot of the rough grouse then. Yep. Yeah, we don't there. we don't have spruce down there. Um there are sharp tails like around Hinkley, and there is a zone there to hunt them, but this year it's closed. Mm. So the numbers aren't they're not gaining numbers at a rapid enough rate to sustain a huntable population in that area. Okay. So Minnesota has two different zones. They have the, I can't remember how they title them. It's the northeast zone is around Hinkley, Aiken area, mm-hmm. and then a little north. And then the rest of the state, it's from highway, north of highway two. Yep. From Crookston and it heads straight east. Okay. So I've, I've seen them by Lake of the Woods and this, I'm talking sharp tails. You know, yep. I've, I've seen sharp tails by Lake of the Woods. I've seen them all the way over to Thief down at Crookston. And then, um, so the rough grouse, I would say, you know, draw that line from, from Sherburn Northeast, you'll find them Crookston. They're no, they're still South of yeah, Crookston. You'll, yeah. You'll see them up Like there. fertile area. There's grouse there. You know, once you start getting out of the, the farmland zone and you get into bigger timber yep. is where you'll start finding more. How do you yep. tell the difference between them? Like, how do, what is a like a grouse, like a rough grouse look like, and what is the difference between a rough and a sharp tail? So a rough grouse has a tail like a turkey. So, so when, they have a fan. So when okay. you fan that out, you know, and we have different color phases. We have gray phases and red phases, and then we also have what people call a chocolate phase, which it'll be like a gray, almost like a gray phase, but it'll have a chocolate band. Okay. So and then the way you tell a male from a female. A lot of guys will say if the band is solid on the tail all the way through, it's a male. But the only true way to go off of it is the rump feathers. The rump feathers on the grouse have dots on them. And what's a rump feather? It's just the, it's the, right, high, the yep, butt Yep, it's feather. right below the tail feathers. Okay. So you ha- the tail feathers are longer. You know, on, a, on an old drummer, we call them old males drummers because okay. they're, you know, on the drumming log, spring and fall. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that's really cool. Like if you go anywhere up north, like shed hunting, or if you're going yeah. on a hike, yep. to go somewhere and you all of a sudden you just hear just in the distance, you're like, "What in the world?" You don't trust when you first hear it. You don't quite trust your ears. You're like, "What?" Yeah, what is that? It's like a boom, 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 boom. And that's a that's a breeding habit, right? That's what they do. Yep. So not only a breeding habit, but like they'll do it in the fall too. Oh, okay. So like this time of year, specifically like right now, we call it the the September shuffle is when the broods like a family of, of young birds and its mother mm-hmm. start to break up. And those young birds are going out and seeking their own territories. Males, they say the average the average home range for a grouse is like 40 acres. Really? Males are even smaller because they pick the best habitat they can find because when they're drumming in the spring, they're drawing those females in to breed with. Mm. So they pick the best habitat they can find and they'll claim that habitat and you'll catch them on that log every day and night they they drum through the night jeez so then uh, chicks love drummers <laughs> <laughs> so when you're walking through the woods and 
if you find one, is there a good possibility that there's more than one in that, like that, say, 40 acre chunk that you're going to watch? Yeah, you, yeah, you can definitely, definitely. Because so, there's such a home body. Yep. And if you know. sit and listen to one drum, chances are you're going to hear another one somewhere in the close vicinity. Um, so, yeah. Right now we're going through the shuffle where they're starting to break up. The broods are breaking up and they're, the males are look young males are looking for their own habitat. And that's why you get the drumming in the fall too, is because those males are out there saying, well, this is where I live. Don't fucking come here. (laughs) This is my home back off. But like the hens, hens have a bigger range because when they have a brood, it takes a, it takes more area for a brood to survive than it does for a single grouse. Okay. So, like broody cover, the hens will lay in like mature timber in like a depression out, out in the woods. Just like you've walked through and you've seen yep. like where a tree blew over mm-hmm. and there's a little bowl there. Hens will nest in that. Oh, really? And then it's usually somewhere close to really young cover, like a two to five year old clear cut because those clear cuts are full of bugs. And when the chicks are young, the first couple of weeks, that's all they're eating is bugs because they're. They're not old enough to digest buds and leaves, so they they rely on soft-bodied insects. You know, whether it's, you know, we don't get a lot of grasshoppers in the woods, but spiders. Sure. Um, flies, just slugs, random stuff. Yeah. Grub, grubs. Yeah, all the like, stuff you'll yep. find on a rotten logger, piece of bark, yep. or whatever. Yep, so. and you know, if you ever watch them, you know, when they're born, rough grouse chicks are tiny. And like I'm talking like a golf ball. I've n- I've never seen one, so yeah, oh, I bet they're, they're tiny. little. They're little. If you if you take a drive north in the spring, and you get up on some old logging roads, and you see a, a fresh brood come out of the woods onto yep. a road, it looks like you've got a chicken with <laughs> I don't even know like little cockroaches. <laughs> they, they just buzz across the road. They're so tiny, but yeah, it, it's really cool. But yeah, so broody cover, young timber. Yep. You know, the thicker the better. They need a canopy over their head so they can't get predated on by owls, hawks. Um, And then, like, when you're hunting them, you don't want the super young cover. They're starting to look for – so we hunt a lot of clear cuts. You know, timber company comes in, clear cuts an area. I particularly look for aspen cuts because aspen cuts have all the buds and everything that the grouse want. And then we look for – on average, I'd say a 10 to 20-year-old cut for grouse. And when we're talking woodcock, I'd go from like 5 to 10-year-old cut. Woodcock, which is another yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. Another fun bird to hunt. I mean, I I think they're more challenging to shoot than rough grouse sometimes just because of the way they fly. Because they don't fly straight. No, they, they make it... Tr- when, when, what's a woodcock do? Yeah, what, what is it? What is so, describe what, a what woodcock? What does it look like? Because yeah. so, they're, they're a goofy-looking bird. Oh, they're... They're technically a shorebird. What do you mean? So if you've ever seen a snipe or a gallinule, they're, a long-beaked little shorebird. They're, yeah. they're yeah. in the same family as a shorebird, but they're an upland shorebird. So their beak, if you ever shoot a woodcock, their beak, the hen's beaks are longer than males. Hens are bigger than males in the woodcocks. Okay. And then grouse, the males get bigger than the females. So the woodcocks have a, I don't know, up to like a three-inch beak or so. Sounds right. Yep. And when you look at them, you'd think they'd be hard, but they're actually pretty bendy. So woodcock are constantly walking through the woods, putting their beak down into the dirt, looking for grubs and worms. They love earthworms. Mm. That's like candy to woodcock. Well, the last little bit of their beak will flex out 
so they can pick those worms out. Because, you know, if you're going down in with a closed beak, how are you going to open it? Well, the last little tip of their beak flexes out when they find a worm so <laughs> they can grab them. Yeah. That's crazy. So you'll yep, find the woodcock is... like on like on grass grassier edges, soft like yeah, along they need, a swamp. They need, they need soft ground that they can probe through. Yep. When they're going, and that's why you find them in such young cuts because the soil oh. in there is a lot softer because it's got all the decaying trees from the clear cut that yep. are still going. Yep. Whereas an older cut has more space between the trees as as the saplings die out, making room for the ones that are growing faster. Yep. Those ones die out. And the ground gets harder sure. because there's not there's not as much litter and everything going on right on top. And I yep. sp- yeah, you know, and you'll find them on swamp edges. Right. Um, this last year we were hunting, and it was during that first snowstorm in October, like the second week of October we had. Yep. yep. So we were up by up by Grand Rapids, we'll call it that area. And I got up there, and it wasn't snowing. I got up there on a I think it was a Friday, and it wasn't snowing yet. And Saturday or Friday night, it started snowing. Yep. And we woke up to four to five inches of wet, heavy shit. Right. And we're like, well, we're going to go anyways. Yep. Hoping that there's bird, wood, like a woodcock flight. So also woodcock are migratory. Oh, okay. Okay. So they, they nest northern Minnesota up into Canada. And then once the cold starts to push them down and the ground starts to freeze and they can't feed anymore, they fly south. Makes sense. Just like and a they, short bird, they winter. Yeah. They winter down in Louisiana, so they make it all. Oh, they go oh, yeah. all the way down. Yep, there. And, and they're tiny. Uh, the body on a woodcock's not even as big as a twelve ounce pop can. No, I mean they're tiny. They're, they're a birds. few ounces. Yeah. Yep. I remember that going back on that day where you said you had you drove up on that Friday. I remember that day because that's last year. That's when you shot your buck. Oh yeah, because I, I came back down from uh, walleye fishing up in the outing right area, before it all and came, then all then of a sudden the next day they, they got like three inches. Yeah, and we went out. We went out the next morning, and there was three of us, and we were running one dog at a time. And the first walk of the day, we what must have what we're assuming happened was is a flight came in overnight, and then once the snow came in, you know they all hunkered down while the snow buried them all. Oh. So as we're hunting. The dog can't pinpoint where these birds are, so he's just catwalking all over. You know, he'd go on point, and you can tell he didn't quite have them pinned because his tail would be flagging a little bit. Yep. <laughs> and he'd be kind of, his head would be going back and forth trying to pinpoint where these birds are, and then a bird would just pop out from under the snow. <laughs> Crazy. And we hunted, the one cover that we hunted in, maybe an hour and a half, we moved over 100 woodcock. Oh, Holy cow. And we, we couldn't get them pinned until after they would flush and land back on top of the snow where the dog could actually smell the bird right. mm-hmm. straight forward. But we were finding them, you know, after after that first morning, we were finding them in all these little open seeps okay. along these swamp edges oh, where sure. there was open water coming from the swamp or the runoff, mel- in the, yep, yeah. runoff from the melting snow. All these birds were right along these little open seeps. Sure. So we'd just be looking for open water. Yep. But yeah, woodcock needs soft ground. Yep. Um, and then, so when you flush woodcock, kind of like grouse, you almost never just get one. There's usually a cu- it, yep. more often than so, not, there's yeah, a couple. Woodcock will fly. They migrate in groups. Yep. You know, and the groups can be anywhere from ten to a hundred. Oh, wow. And they migrate at night. They don't migrate during the day. Hmm. So when they're flying at night, you know, and they'll depending on the weather. You know, a clear night, they'll migrate, you know, 100 miles. Yep. And as they're coming into where they're going to set up for the for their next stop, they're looking for these little openings in the woods to pop into. Yep. 
So the best woodcock habitat I've ever found is a nice young cut that has some natural open openings in it, yep. like maybe from a logging deck or like a skitter trail. Yep. You know, and then they can be natural openings too. Sure. But they set up on the edges of these of these openings when they come in. Yep. And you hunt around those openings, and that's when I get in. That's into when them. they're in there. Yeah. Mm. And so my experience with woodcock, you know, a grouse will fly straight up or get up and start moving laterally quick, but the woodcock always seem to want to go up like. 10 feet, 12 feet, and then they start flying away yep. from you. So, well, and it's more conducive to the habitat you're finding them in, too. Oh, okay. So, when you find them in this really thick stuff, the only option they do or they have is to go straight oh, up. Oh, sure. They can't fly out. They it's have too to thick go and... straight up. And once they clear that canopy, then they can take off gotcha. in whatever direction they want. And typically, flight birds don't fly that long or far. You know, yeah. we call it the woodcock hop. They come up and they go 50 <laughs> yards and go back down. You watch them land. Yeah, and then you just go, go up and, up to yeah, go again, and try again. And then they pop up again. Yep. And I mean, the limit on woodcocks only three. Okay. So I mean, they're a migratory bird. You don't, but you don't have to use steel shot for them. You can hunt them with lead, but you still need your hip certification to hunt them. So we'll go back. Okay, so go back on that lead. So from I've I've always hunted, you know, uh, steel for ducks. Yep. And then I've very rarely done a couple, one pheasant hunt, one grouse hunt, and you can use lead. What's the difference for someone that didn't even know that there's such thing as lead? Like, why so, can't you use it for waterfall? Because it's toxic. Okay. So, and I don't, it gets in the water. So, I can't remember what year they oh, they made what, that law. What was it? It was earlier for us. In Canada, it wasn't until like the 90s, right? But for us, wasn't it, was it late 80s? 80s or 70s. Yeah, it might have even been 70s. Okay. So, and ultimately it was when you're waterfowl hunting, you're shooting over water most of the time. And so the lead will pile up in the bottom of the lakes and cause, you know, lead, issues. lead, lead poisoning issues. issues. You know, Fish duck, will eat them, birds will eat them. The bottom. Yeah, yep. all that kind of stuff. So, leaching to the water supply, yep. all and that. We don't, like, you know, most people don't even call it steel anymore. It's just non toxic. Mm. They call it a non toxic load. Because uh, you can use tungsten and tungsten, all that kind bismuth. of yeah. Like I'm this year, I took the plunge and I'm trying out some of that Boss Ammo. I never heard of it. So Boss Ammo non toxic. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never tried bismuth. It. Yep. Oh really? Yeah, Is it just supposed, the new? The supposed new supposed to be really good. We're gonna we're gonna put it to the test and see how good it does. We we bought. I got a buddy that bought a case of two and three quarter sevens, and I bought a case of three inch sevens. Right. And so just to go back. You know, generally speaking, for upland game birds or for woodcock, you can use lead shot. But you still have to be careful if you're because a lot of times you'll hunt pheasants and stuff on waterfowl production areas. You still need to have steel on a waterfowl production area. Yep, and that's the main reason why I'm just looking to make the switch to non-toxic loads. Because when I'm hunting pheasants, you know, we hunt a lot of WPAs, right? And I don't, I hate having to empty my pouches out and make sure, you know, like. the logos on your shells wear off. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can't always tell if it's steel or if it's lead. Well, I don't want to have that problem. I just want to be able to go grab my grab shells and go. and go. So you get to be pretty cautious if you're you're hunting around water. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, and if, Even if, in a state forest, there might be a pond or something. Well, there. in would the state s- forest, it doesn't matter. You can use lead. Yep. But would you would you switch it? or? You know, I haven't up until this year where I'm oh, yep. planning on only shooting steel. Again, if you're in there specifically targeting waterfowl, yeah, if you, then you need to. But yeah, if you're walking if you're around shoot in waterfall, orange, you got to have non-toxic. Yes. Like, yeah, you yeah. can't shoot like it. If, if you're, you're walking around grouse hunting and a mallard flies over, you better not shoot it with your lead shot. That's just as illegal. Yeah. So and, and does does lead just does it fly better? 
They always claim that. I mean, the old timers. I never so, shot it. So lead know, is softer than steel. Steel is harder. So when it comes out of your gun, it forms and it flies better. That's why when they first started the steel shot that they that they first started with sucked. <laughs> when, when steel shot was first a thing, it sucked. It was horrible. Guys hated it. And now as people, you know, we've got bismuth, we've got tungsten, we've got heavy shot. Right. You know, all that. Got, you know, a lot of that stuff's really damn good. Right. And I've heard so many good reviews on this boss ammo. So I'm going to give it a shot and I'm going to see if it's worth the money. You know, steel shot, non-toxic shot. It's more expensive. Well, right now everything's damn expensive. Oh yeah, Ugh. it's ridiculous. Girls, it's really have expensive. a hard time finding that that new stuff. Is it sold so, out like everything? So else? Boss Ammo, you can only get it online from their website. They don't sell it retail. Okay. And they don't ship to Canada. So Ooh. It's, it's only available in the U.S. Screw you, Canada, yeah. <laughs> buddy. <laughs> Close your borders. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. So yeah. So this Boss Ammo, it's it's only available in the U.S. Nice. Yeah. And that's so, just their like www like BOSS or what is it? Boss ammo. Boss shot shell.com. Okay. That's um, right. And they're ha- like just like any other ammo company, they're having a hard time staying mm-hmm. you know, up keeping, to orders, yeah. yeah. Keeping <laughs> stuff in, in store on shelf and but uh yeah, I've got I was able to get a case and I know they cut down what they're all gonna make. They're only gonna make their their most popular loads for the rest of the season just so they can keep getting it into people's hands instead of trying to make everything because they make it from 10 gauge all the way down to four tens so and you're shooting like six seven so i'm shooting sevens sevens yep for grouse and woodcock grouse and woodcock um i might try and pick up a couple boxes of of their three inch fives for like late season pheasants okay but you know like last year i was shooting seven and a halves all year long Okay. Unless I was out on like a WPA where I needed non-toxic, sure. Then I was shooting sixes, right? But I'm I'm a fan of the lighter the better. Like I I quit carrying a twelve gauge. I carry a twenty now, and I shoot. I shot a twenty gauge on six different species last year from northern Minnesota down to southern Nebraska, and it worked just fine. Right. Nice. And it's lighter to carry and yeah. all that good you stuff. You know, you put on the miles. You know, a right. couple pounds on your shoulder makes a difference. Oh yeah, for sure. I just want to back up real quick. Uh, you know, earlier in the podcast, you were talking about how to sex a um, grouse. Yep. So. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the rump feathers are the smaller feathers right below the long tailband feathers. And there's dots, white dots on those feathers. If it's, I don't want to screw this up. If it's, <laughs> don't worry. We'll hear about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that guy is full of shit. It's one of two ways, but I'm pretty, I'm like 99% sure. If there's one dot, it's a female. If it's two dots, there's a, it's a male. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Okay. And that's that's the only way to tell. Okay, like really, tell. like it's, like, it's you, you can it's very accurate. You can look at the tail band, and if the band is solid all the way through, chances are it is a male. Okay, but the only guaranteed way to look is by those two those spots on that t- on the rump feathers. Okay, now woodcock, they say you can put a dollar bill up to their beak. If it's wider than the bill, it's a female, and if it's shorter than the bill, it's a male. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> they look the same to me. I don't. I don't notice any differences. So did we? Uh, we've covered so much information. Already. I know, man. Did we? So did we cover what uh, the sharp tail grouse looks like? Because the okay, the, so the rough grouse has the the big fan the, like, like a turkey. Yep, like a turkey. So yeah. rough grouse has a fan like a turkey. They're a medium sized bird, smaller than a rooster pheasant, about the size of a hen pheasant. 
Which is how? What is that? I, uh, I mean, like two and a half pounds, uh, like I a mean, like a mallard or like a teal. pound, pound and a half. Yeah, pound and a half. You're looking maybe. more like a wood duck size. Okay, yeah. smaller than a mallard, bigger than a teal. Um, sharp tails are similar in size, maybe just a hair bigger, and they're shaped more like a football. Their bodies, anyways. So their undersides are white. Their upper sides are like a a bunch of different buff browns, browns and, and then they have a pointed tail. Not like a pheasant where it's, you know, up to 30 inches long. Yeah. We're talking like a three to four inch sharp tail. So like almost yeah. like a pintail. Like tail. a yeah. young hen yeah, pheasant. Yep. Okay. Like, yep. Yep. And that's that's where the sharp tail name comes from. And, you know, all, all of our native grouse species, uh, spruce grouse, sharp tails, rough grouse, and prairie chickens all have feathers all the way down to their toes. Hmm. Kind of like a bird of prey. You know, they got all that feather and fuzz. I mean, like. It's weird. So it's not like a duck where they have that above the exactly like you above can see the, the orange on a mountain. Right. Obviously, yep. nope. They they'll have feathers all the way down their legs, under their feet, top of their feet, and everything. And that's to deal with cold weather. Hmm. And yep. If you look at, if you look really close at their feet, and I don't know the terminology for all this, but if you look at a rough grouse's toes, off of the main part of their toe, they have these tiny little spikes on both sides to help them walk on snow. And walk through the leaves. Yeah. Because if, if you really think about it, grouse, woodcock, pheasants, they're all at the bottom, bottom of the food chain. And everything they do is to survive and not get eaten. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone says, well, they're so damn smart. Well, it's not that they're smart. It's just that they're genetically inclined to do these things to survive. Right. Yeah. You know, it. it's not... You know, Mr. Rough Grouse wakes up in the morning and thinks, well, this guy is going to come at me today. I'm going to fly on that side of that tree. <laughs> you know, no, that they're just genetically inclined to put as much distance and objects in between you and them as they possibly can. Well, and they're, right. and they're, they're fast little bastards. Oh, yeah. You know, and the habitat you hunt rough grouse in, it's not conducive to shooting. No, no. You, know, you got to be quick. I always tell people, if you're hunting grouse and you're standing in a spot where you can swing your gun in a 360-degree circle, you're not hunting thick enough cover. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're hitting your barrel with oh, a yeah. tree or yeah, tree yeah. Yeah. Majority, or something. The majority of the time, I've got like maybe a foot left to right of where I can swing on a bird. And if it's any wider than that, I start looking for thicker stuff. Right. When you, when you generally when you, when you pull the trigger on a grouse, you're like, eh, like <laughs> yeah. did I get like you 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 see the bird just it. enough to get your swing going, and you pull the trigger, and you just hope you don't get another glimpse of it across the next tree. Yep. It's the craziest experience. Yep. It's a blast. I love it. It's so much fun. Oh. But a rough grouse will scare the crap out of you. Oh yeah. If, uh, even make when a lot I of noise oh. Oh. well, you know what they sound like when they drum. Yeah. Think of what they sound like when they take off, dude. On a on a crispy <laughs> it's fall it's morning, when you just like you you've been walking, you put it on about a quarter mile, and you're just like just getting kind of relaxed. Especially if you don't have a dog, and that I mean, sometimes they won't flush till you're six feet from them, yep. and it scares the crap out of you. Especially, I suppose, especially deer hunting, like oh yeah, deer opener. I've had girls scare the shit out of me deer hunting. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> you know, you're walking in a trail, like even in the like in the evening, walking out of the woods. Yeah. You know, so early in the year, uh, rough girls are roosting trees to get off the ground. You know, I mean, it makes them easier prey for owls. But it gets them off the ground from bobcats and coyotes and yep. fox, red fox, gray fox, raccoons. But so they'll roost in the trees. Well, they don't fly up till it's dark, just like a turkey. And you'll be walking out of the woods and, you know, you hear something and you stop. You're like, I wonder what that was. And, <laughs> you know, didn't see anything. So you keep walking while well, you almost step on a rough grouse, you know, as they go up and they scare the <laughs> shit out of you. 
But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're hunting without a dog, just put yourself in a birdie looking area, walk 10 to 15, 20 yards, slowly stop. Yeah. Stand there for a little bit, look around, keep walking. Stop. That stopping puts those birds on edge and makes them fly. Yep. I mean, I... And I've, just try to be on your toes because yep. it happens fast oh, when yeah. they get up. We hunted... When I first hunted grouse with my dad, you know, we hunted without a dog and that's how we did it. So, yeah, I, I had a question for you and is, do you need a dog to hunt grouse? No. Nope. Nope. There's lots of people that... I run into guys that don't have dogs all the time, you know, and they're walking small little trails in the woods and... They're looking left and right as they're going, and they'll stop and wait and listen if they hear anything moving or if they can see one walking. But yeah, the first couple years of grouse hunting that I ever did, I didn't have a dog. Hmm. We just I, go walk. Yeah, I probably I probably know more guys that hunt grouse without dogs mm-hmm. than with dogs for the most part. Dogs just make it easier for that when you shoot and hopefully to find you hit it. it then and, they, yeah, all of a sudden they start coming back and to the grouse the, in their mouth. They're like, oh, I got that one. Uh, yeah. Like for me with cash in the lab, I mean, you'll still get a flush unexpected, but like Joe. Going back to what Joe said earlier, you see them get birdie, and having that three-second warning for a grouse is a game changer. What's birdie? Oh, so, like, my, you, you get to know your dog. Yeah. So, I'm walking around with Cash. You know, they're always excited that first 150 yards, but eventually, he's just kind of doing a zigging and zagging and sniffing the ground, and, and all, what Cash will do is, you know, I'll hear his footsteps, and he'll be working within 20, 30 yards of me, but... All of a sudden, you'll just hear him go from to, <laughs> and then his ta- his tail will just start going insane. And usually, his st- he he picks up his steps. Or the biggest giveaway is all of a sudden he's on a bead line. Like like he'll zig and zag and what's this log? What's that log? But as soon as he's on a scent, he's like in a straight bead line somewhere, and his breathing increases, and his tail just starts going crazy. He's birdie. So it's, it goes from a nice casual wag to yeah, just for the most, like a yep. like To like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Something like clear. Yeah. Uh, uh, all of his cadence has changed. And it's like, okay, be ready. There's something up here. Sometimes it just a rabbit takes off, but most often it's a grouse or a pheasant or whatever. Yep. So that's what I noticed with my dogs. Everybody's dog might do something a little different, but after you flush one or two grouse, you'll yeah. no, you'll recognize yeah, it right and away. You, you learn to read your dog. Yep. You know, you, you learn to know your dog's personality and you know, okay, well... Right now, it's smelling a rabbit, or it's got its nose on the ground, so I know it's fucking around. And <laughs> it's it's not hunting, or you know, yeah. right now it's just running, and yep. there's nothing going on. And then you know, once it hits that scent cone, you know, we call it the scent cone because scent coming off a bird spreads out as it disperses, especially in a, in the wind. You yep. know, stronger wind, the smaller the cone, bigger or less wind. You know, you'll have a wider cone, but it'll be closer to the bird. Yeah. So. Dog hits that scent cone, like if you're, and if it's not coming straight into that cone and hits it at an angle, you know, you'll see those hard right turns or the hard left turns, yeah. and then it's going to be a bird right close. Get ready. And, yep. with, and with yours, do they just, like with the pointers, they just stop yeah. and their tail, and like they're called pointers because their tail is just. Yeah, well, pointing, pointing because the, 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 whole body the dog is stopping, establishing its point, which is, you know, a statue, pointing in the direction where its nose is smelling this bird scent from. And they don't always hit point. They don't always establish point as soon as they hit scent, especially on grouse, because grouse, so grouse are constantly moving throughout the day. Mm-hmm. They don't sit still in one spot for very long. They're constantly moving throughout the woods. And that's why I like hunting them so much. Because like pheasants, if you're hunting a pheasant 
and you flush a bird off of the CRP field that you're hunting, and it flies over to the neighbor's private cornfield, well, shit, you're fucked for the day. <laughs> he's gone. Okay, he's gone. He ain't coming back till the night when they're going to roost. Yeah. Well, a rough grouse, you know, they'll fly 100, 150 yards maybe, but then they're back to moving through the woods. So they lay, lay down a lot of scent during the day. So a dog's got to determine, a pointing dog anyways, has to determine what's fresh and what's old. So you might see your your pointing dog slow down a little bit to kind of scent check that cone to see if, yes, there is indeed a bird here or, hey, wait, this bird's already moved on. I can creep a little more and okay. kind of find if I'm going to get close enough. And that takes some time. You're not going to have a dog that that, that does that right every away. time right away. You know, in during field trials and stuff, we say like a five or four to five year old dog is they should have them figured out by that age. Mm-hmm. You know, and my setter right now, he's not even three yet. And he gives me a pretty consistent performance on birds already. So I'm just happy as hell. Right. And so like I've seen like obviously like having you come on, I've been doing a little bit of research and grouse hunting. Yeah. And like a lot of these guys I see they have like with the collars, it, it beeps when they're on point. Yep. Do you have... Like so like that. when I first started grouse hunting over a pointer, I had a beeper. Um, I don't mind them. Some guys really like them, but I get caught up in the nostalgic or nostalgia of it, I guess, yep. you know, running a bell because when we're running trials, all you get to listen to is that bell. You don't, you can't put a beeper on a dog in a field trial. Excuse me. And, uh, so I'll run a bell on my dog and then I'll run a GPS collar. Okay. So I, but I tone train all my dogs too. So when we're hunting, I don't say hardly anything to my dogs. I communicate with a tone on their collar and it's just a button on my transmitter. Like if my dog's drifting in a certain direction and I don't want him to, I just hit that, that tone twice and that dog knows to turn and come back around. Just do the opposite of what you're doing now. Yep. 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 Just turn around, hit a right angle and come back to me. Yep. Get back out in front of me. Cause I'm going to start going this way now. Uh-huh. And I'll do that in the open too, like when I'm pheasant hunting. Cause and that goes back to what you said where you, you don't want to give them that pre-alert, right? Exactly. So you don't want to be yep. yelling and saying, hey, we're coming for you. Yep. Start moving. Now, when we're when we're field trialing or when we're training dogs too, you know, we're we're not quiet. You know, we're walking through the woods and, you know, the dogs, they can have, in a trial, they can have a GPS collar on. But they can't have prongs on the collar because you can't have any electronic stimulation of any kind. So you in can't the shock them. No. Okay. Nope. That's a big no. No. Oh, I spo- like it's it. Back in the like, not to interrupt you, but like back in the day, it was, oh, you get your dog on that shock collar and yep. you, you hit that once and they'll never go away. Well, now it's now gone to like just owning the labs I have is it's it's a whole different way of training. Right. Like, really, yep. like we don't. I don't even own a shock collar, and, yep. and they're just. The way that you you train them and the they like they know how you are and you know how they am they are they kind of just stay in that area like they know where to go and if you say something okay I went too far yep, just like right. moving into a new house yeah mm-hmm. yeah so and like in like I was saying in a field trial you can't you can't use electronic stimulation on your dog the dog can have a tracking collar on like when I say GPS it's a tracking collar. Mm-hmm. And what you do is you turn your transmitter off, but leave your collar on and give your transmitter to the judge. And the judge holds on to that until the trial's over, until your, till your, your brace is over. So he knows you're not manipulate, manipulating the dog Correct. with that. Yep. So, you know, when we're walking through the woods during a trial or when we're training dogs, because we always train like we trial, because mm-hmm. you want to keep them in that mindset that, hey, this is what we're doing. 
we're going to do this every time. You know, we're walking through the woods and you're, they call it singing. It does not sound anything like singing. <laughs> I'll say that, you know, I'm walking through the woods and I try and use a different tone than other people. So my dog doesn't get confused. You know, a lot of guys will be, Hey, yo, when they're walking through the woods and I'll just be like, Hey, Hey, you get a different tone and a different, yep. different sound altogether. And I know guys that use, uh, like herding dog whistles, which I think is fucking cool. <laughs> And if I ever learn how to use one, that's how I'm going to do it. Because I the what? different tones in the yeah. like, like yep. for a cattle or what? Yeah. So if you've ever seen like a herding dog work, like a lot of guys will just lip whistle. Oh, and they, yeah. They, they have commands and they have lip whistles, but they actually manufacture this whistle for herding dogs that reaches way out there. Oh, man. Like when you're moving cattle or sheep or whatever you have with a dog, you know, your voice only carries so far. A whistle mm-hmm. carries 10 times farther than your voice. So they, you know, if, you know, either you put your fingers in your mouth a whistle or you got to find a whistle that sounds <laughs> that like carries. that can do it. So I know a couple of guys that trial with those and I think that's just cool. <laughs> <laughs> someday, someday I'll learn how to use one. That is, that is absolutely like unreal how even like when you're hunting, just the different tones and, and all of a sudden your dog's like, oh, wait, nope, I got to go this way. Yep. Yeah. But, and, you know, and like in the woods, everything echoes. Yep. In the open, it doesn't, like, when you shoot a gun, it'll echo, mm-hmm. you know, because it'll bounce, like, especially in Minnesota, because we have so many damn trees everywhere, it'll bounce off of a woodlot, you know, a few hundred yards away, and you'll hear an echo. But in the woods, everything echoes. Like, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it bounces off of everything. So, when I'm when I'm handling, or whatever you want to call it, you know, I always try and face the opposite direction of where the dog is. Like, if my dog's on my left... I put my body position to the right and I cut my, I cut my hands over my mouth to cut down on the echo to throw my voice as far right as I can. So that he can pick up on. Yep. yep. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. So he knows, okay, well his voice is good this way. I need to cut back this way now. And hmm. Cause I don't, I can't use those two beeps to bring him around. I have to yeah. use my voice. Oh, interesting. There's well, yeah, that's all just, it's, it's a whole, like, I'm out of my, like, yeah. I have no it, idea. It's, it's like, my, like, it's, for somebody just coming into it, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, you you go and you watch a trial, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe how great those dogs are. Right. But, you know, every dog has a good day and a bad day. Can can anyone just go watch one? Oh, yeah. Yep. What yep. is it? It's one? open to the public. So, our trial season starts this coming weekend. So, the first trial will be in Wisconsin for our area. Okay. It'll start on Saturday in Wisconsin down in the Chippewa National Forest over by augusta so that that's the 25th right no the 22nd i think yeah the 25th yeah next 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 saturday Saturday. yep and then like our minnesota state championship starts on monday october 4th and then there will be another trial in wisconsin on the 29th of september and then we have one that starts on the 8th or 9th of september of october up in uh, moose junction wisconsin so where's this one in Wisconsin, Minnesota? So like, if someone wants to go watch, like, I, if it's not that far away, I might just right. So like... our trial grounds are in the Rum River State Forest. They've and been holding these trials there for over thirty years. And where's that at? So that's east of or west of Mora, east of one sixty nine. You know where the Malax WMA is on the south yep. southeast corner of the lake. It's just south of that. Okay, and that's the Minnesota one. Yep, that's the Minnesota Grouse Championship. And where's the Wisconsin one next? The, the next one is over in Augusta, Wisconsin. Okay, and then the last one in Wisconsin is up in Moose Junction, which is straight north of Dairyland, Wisconsin. So you can just pull up there and just go yep. watch so, you guys do your so magic. So what we do is, 
all of these trials that we have in our region are run on public ground. So there's not a whole lot of publications for it or publicity because, you know, essentially people can come and walk these courses that we run our dogs on and hunt them. And we, you know, yes, it's public ground, but we prefer if we don't just tell everyone, hey, this is where we're doing this. Right. Because so, mm-hmm. we don't want them to come and shoot every freaking bird on the on the courses. Because the courses that we have, you know, we'll use the same course for 10 years in a row. Yeah. Until the timber gets crappy and there's mm-hmm. it's not holding birds. Because, you know... Timber ages out. Grouse are, they call them an edge bird, which in a sense they are, but they need a mixture of of young secessional habitat and mature habitat. Um, grouse eat a lot of different stuff. Rough grouse. Mm-hmm. Well, all grouse, really. Right. But but we're talking rough grouse right yep. now. So in the early in the year, you know, chicks and hens are eating bugs. They're eating greens like clover. Um, sweet grass. And then as we transition into fall and everything starts to brown up, you know, they're eating dogwood berries. They're eating high brush cranberries. They're eating pretty much any kind of berry you see in the woods. They'll eat mushrooms. Um, they'll eat just the greens on the leaves of certain plants. As long as it's tender enough, right? Yep. They'll just, yep. Yeah. You know, if you, you get into October and you get those, those frosty mornings, those dewy mornings, Mm-hmm. Those are the days that I find them out, like on a green area. Yeah, like you that know, little bit I, of clover on a on a four wheeler trail yeah, or something. Exactly, like that. exactly. So when when I shoot a bird, I always I rip that crop open right away to see what they're eating. So when you're doing this field trial, like I always picture, like videos I've seen of field trials, these guys that they're just they put pheasants out or whatever, and they're just flushing them. What and so like you're actually going in the woods and you're hunting. Yeah, wild birds. Yep. Yeah, like, it, it's a wild bird trial. Yeah. There's not very many of them that go on anymore just because of loss of habitat, loss of ability to find birds. Like the trials that go on in the east, they don't have the rough grouse populations like we do anymore. Hmm. You know, there's a couple guys in our in our trial club that have been doing this for a long time, a really long time. And you hear stories like I love listening to the stories from when they were when they started, you know, like the the trials up in Canada, up on the prairies, you know, they ran them on sharp tails and Hungarian partridge and pheasant. A lot of the guys rode trains up there. Oh my Dogs God. were shipped up in trains. That would be sweet. <laughs> and they, what they would do is they would start in Canada on these horseback trials out on the open prairies. And then they would just follow the season, the circuit down south. So, you know, they would hit Canada then they would hit the Dakotas and Minnesota and Wisconsin. Then they'd move down into like Illinois, Tennessee, Kentucky, and they'd end up like down in Alabama. Jesus. So, I mean, the stories that these guys had to tell are just crazy. But like even they'll tell you that, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, um, Maine still has really good populations of grouse. But like the East Coast trials don't have the bird contacts that we'll have in our trials. Sure. So we'll go through our Minnesota trial. Last year, I made it out. Cause it's during the week. I made it out for one day just to walk, walk a bunch of braces. And there was bird contacts on every single brace, whether it was rough grouse or woodcock. Well, some of the trials back East, they might have 50 dogs entered in a stake and they might have three or four bird contacts. Oh my gosh. If it's, if it's a wild bird trial. No kidding. Yeah. Crazy. So, like out here and I'm not, I don't want to, you know, bad mouth trials or anybody else. Cause there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm new at this. I'm not, I'm not a professional. I've only been doing it for a couple of years. 
And there's guys with way more experience and way better talent and abilities than I have at this point. But I believe that like here in our area that, you know, in the clubs that, that I've seen, we have some of the best dogs in the country yeah. and we're, you know, 90% amateurs. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple pros that come to our trials. Hmm. Do you think part of that is because you're able to get your dogs on birds and it, and it helps the dogs along Absolutely. as well? Sure. Absolutely. And you'll see a lot of the pros, like the guys that, that are based out of like Alabama, Georgia and all that, they'll run up on the prairies. Okay. In July and August. Yep. And get their dogs going on birds. Yep. Because it's so hot down south. Oh, sure. And in the south, you know, they'll run on quail. And a lot of them are, you know, pen-raised birds. And then they'll have some wild populations, but they're not not training year-round on wild birds down there. So they'll come up to the prairies up north, or guys will go up to the UP, or northern Wisconsin, or northern Minnesota, and they'll run their dogs, train them up there. Yep. And then as a, as it gets colder and everything, they'll move back home. Oh, so so this will be Tuesday's episode, which will be the what twenty first twenty first, my anniversary. Um, oh, yeah. how many so, years has it been? Uh, uh, oh, eight years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eight wonderful years. I got um, ten coming this week. <laughs> oh. So Saturday, the eighteenth of September here in in Minnesota was Grouse Opener, right? Yeah, yes. It opens with small game. Correct. So. Um, so, what type? How hard will you hit it early season? We got a lot of leaves. It's, things are still pretty green around here. Yeah, and you're hunting thick cover, period. So, especially when there's leaves, what's kind of some of your strategies? Yeah. So this this was actually the first year in five years or so that I didn't make it out on opening day. Okay. Um. It and we don't go out on opening day just because we're going out to kill a bunch of stuff. We just do it because it's kind of tradition. It's opening day. It's, yeah. It's tradition, you know. But uh, like this time of year. What I'm looking for is in the middle of brood cover to regular hunting season cover. Okay. So I'll hunt a little bit younger stuff. I'll hunt wetter areas right now. And this year with it being so dry, you know, there's not much for standing water. Because typically you go in the north woods of Minnesota and there's a lot of water everywhere. Yeah, you bring your muck boots. Yep. And like this year, I've been... I've been running dogs in my keens and my hiking boots and I I haven't been wet at all. I'll say this, we haven't found much for ticks either. Really? Yeah, it's wow. been really like I think I've pulled I've seen one wood tick on my dog. No in kidding. Six or seven times of running in the woods. I wonder why that'd be like I, I guess I wouldn't expect a drought to affect ticks, but uh, well, I, 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 yeah. I couldn't tell you. Right. That's like you said, it's gotta be pretty nice going out grouse hunting because you're not getting yeah, blocked there, by mosquitoes. No, there's hardly anything for mosquitoes at all. Oh, it's so really nice. nice right now. But um yeah, so like right now, a lot of guys will hit trails. Because it's, you know, it's your Easy one open spot. Yep. Yep. Um, so grouse don't have oil in their feathers like ducks do. So these dewy mornings, mm-hmm. like if you get a heavy, heavy dew in the morning, you know, a lot of these birds are still going to be sitting in trees. Okay. And they're not going to fly down until that grass and the, the lower leaves and everything starts to dry off. You know, they'll probably hit a, a gravel road and pick grit. So sure. All, all birds have gizzards, right? where they store grit to yep. grind up the food that they take in. So grouse are basically kind of like pheasants where they'll they'll pick grit in the mornings and they'll pick grit in the evenings and then you know they'll feed pretty much all day long. Yep. So, you know, you can hit some gravel roads, um just make sure that you're legal when you're doing that. Right. You know, you can't a lot of roads, a lot of the forest roads on the southern part of grouse country 
are like main roads. And you right. Can't with hunt, easements. Yeah, and, yeah, and you exactly. can't hunt on them. Right. So I'm talking like logging roads where there's exposed dirt. True, two track road. Yeah, you know it's not a yep. it's not power a, lines. Yes. right away. Yep. Power line right away. Stuff like that. I've always heard power lines are that that how they go that through and cut everything, and yep. that's yep. usually very good for uh, um, grouse. So now that you've laid out pretty much where to go and how to hunt them, like how do you like how do you get into it? Like, uh, is what do it, you need? Or well, like, like, well, what do you need? Like what got you? Like both of you guys, you guys grouse hunting. What got you into grouse hunting? Was there I like, a grandpa? I like to think or? that I got Seth into grouse hunting. Oh. He did. My, I mean, <laughs> the the first person to bring me grouse hunting was my good buddy Joe Bullet. Just brought me up with him and his buddies. They had a lab or two, and uh, walked around all day. And then we shot a grouse at the end of the day. It was a ton of fun. So I I still have the tail in my basement right now. So that was my first grouse hunt. And then doing a lot of bow hunting up north. Yep. I had flush grouse here and there. Yep. Maybe once or twice, you know, I'd bring a shotgun up when I went bow hunting. Like, oh, if I fill my tag, I'll go grouse hunting. But, yeah, since I got a dog, I've gone way more. And since you've really gotten into it, I, I mean, I've I've done 99% of my grouse hunting with you. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, like, my, my first experience grouse hunting was with my dad. Um, and we basically just walked around and tried to find them on the ground before they would fly. Because my dad, like, I was 12. My dad's like, you'll never hit them when they're flying. <laughs> Shoot them on the ground before they get up in the air because you'll never hit them. You know, so the first couple of years I was grouse hunting, it's like, well, God damn, I, I got to shoot them on the ground before they fly, you know. And so we'd be walking and we were hunting private land back then. And it was, it was pasture woods with a lot of blueberries in it. So we'd be, and we'd only hunt in the evenings. We wouldn't hunt in the mornings or during the day. It was always like the last hour or so of the day. And we'd be walking and, you know, you'd go 10, 15 yards and stop and just kind of look around. Oh, they're so hard to spot. Oh shit. There's one right there. So (laughs) you just, I see one between you and me. Where are you? (laughs) You know, oh, I'm back here. Okay. We're clear. Boom. I'd go pick it up. So, so like when you're, when you're hunting uh, grouse, how do you hunt them? Like you, you, you talked about how you go in the thick cover with your dogs. Yep. And if- okay. So, so I use, I use Onyx a lot. Um, and then I also use this other app made by, uh, it's called the Scout and Hunt app. And what it does is it's a company out of Wisconsin that they'll go through and they do way more states now than they did when I first started using it. When I first started using it, it was strictly a grouse hunting app. Well, now they do it for prairie birds and everything. And they'll go through... And it's for Minnesota, they map out federal forests and county forests and state forest. They don't do like WMAs or WPAs, but it breaks down the entire area by habitat and age class. Like if there's a clear cut, it has a color and it has the year it was cut in and it has how many acres it is. And it's roughly the shape of, of, of yeah, the cut yeah. itself, you know everything. It's not perfect, yep. but it's pretty damn close. Yeah, I was wondering because you kept talking about how the different years of the of the cuts of, yep. for grouse and woodcock, and I was like, well, do you just go on like the state of Minnesota and find out like or a logging website? And but now yep. it's so all I, in this I, app. I use a scout and hunt app, and you can get it. You can. I used to just have chips for my for my GPS, and the only problem with that is it didn't update every year, mm-hmm. so I would just run that chip and then if like I, I saw a new cut I would just mark it on my GPS new cut you know this year you know where it was and whatever I drop a pin on my GPS and do it that way 
but now it's all on my phone and you can do it on your computer and they they make it so the aspen cuts in grouse hunting we look for aspen cuts a lot now minnesota is so diverse you know in the i'll say the southern part and the like along that western fringe country we don't get a lot of aspens it's a lot of hardwoods and you can still hunt grouse in hardwoods but what you're looking for when you're hunting in hardwoods is you want that secondary understory you want a secondary canopy under the mature oak trees because grouse will eat acorns but they still need a canopy above them for to protect them from avian predator predators <laughs> so when you're hunting hardwoods you still want thick understory whether it's hazel brush or dogwoods alders but um so this app kind of shows me everything like it'll map out the cut it'll be in a like a bright red color and then hardwoods will be like oak trees are brown and alders are orange or green swamps are a certain color with a different key code and mm-hmm. everything and they keep it for the aspen cuts in there they only label the prime cuts from like 8 to 20 years old and then every year that updates and you might see a new cut pop up and then one that hit that yep, range that yep, one that comes into that range and then the older cuts will change to a lighter red like a palish red color okay so what i look for on that is i'm looking for prime cuts in close vicinity to older cuts cuz in the that winter mix. in the winter those grouse are we call it budding they're sitting up in the high male aspen trees eating the buds off of these trees in the winter and they'll eat, they'll eat basically buds off of anything, catkins, whatever. But they prefer aspen buds when they're in aspen country. And then you'll find them in pine trees, like in the winter. Mm-hmm. Like that, that hunt we had last year in the snow when we were, we came a little bit further south on Sunday. And we were looking for, looking for specifically grouse. Well, we found them, the one spot we really got into them, they were in... It was kind of like a peninsula that went out into a swamp that had a lot of like 15 to 20 foot tall pine trees in it. And all these grouse were sitting like four feet off the ground in these pines because the snow was wet. Because they, they're out of, yeah, they're, it, it covers covers yep. them so not, yep. yeah. And you'll find woodcocks sit under pine trees on a cold morning because it's thermal cover. Keeps them warm under there and the ground stays soft under the pines. So like I've always heard that old wise tale about like, a pine, like a cedar and pine tree give off. Do they give off heat? Someone say, like, I've always heard They don't give it off. They just hold They hold they heat. Hold heat. It's like yeah. insulation, like because a down the, jacket, basically. Because yep. the snow sits on top yep. of them. The snow will sit on top of them. And when you look under those pines when you're walking through the woods, if you've got a couple inches of snow, you know, that ground is, you can still see the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and that ground will stay softer, longer. And woodcock don't necessarily migrate until the ground starts to freeze. You know, grouse aren't migratory. They might... They'll change cover throughout, you know, summer, fall, and winter. But they're not flying to a different state. No, they're not. They're not leaving. Right. They're just moving a little bit. And that's why I say those, that males, you know, find the perfect habitat for them. And you'll find, you'll, in a good year. So grouse, they say grouse are a cycle bird. Like they have highs and lows and it runs on a seven to 10 year cycle. Like extremely accurately. It's, it's insane with grouse. What was a psycho? A cycle? A cycle. 
Oh, a cycle. Yeah, yep. cycle. Oh, like a cycle <laughs> they're bird. a psycho bird. Yeah, they're a psycho. Watch out! They'll fucking run right <laughs> at you. No, no, they're they're a cycle bird. So you know, on the high on the high end of the cycle, on the up years of the cycle, yep. you'll find birds in in marginal cover. You know, in cover that's not so great because there's so many extra birds. So they get pushed out of the prime cover, and you know they're forced to move into this marginal cover that does may not have everything they need, but it has enough. Hmm. And you can those are the years that you can just pretty much go anywhere and find right. Them. It's on the low end of the cycle that hunting gets a little tougher. And you know when they used to have like bear facts and fishtails on, yep. You know I would get a kick out of the guys that would call in, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, I've been." You know, we were out grouse hunting. We didn't see shit. We've been hunting the same spot for 30 years, and the numbers used to be so good, and now yep. they're just junk. Well, that's because you're hunting the same spot. When right. was the last time you had anything clear cut there? Right. You know, grouse need that young growth yeah. to survive. And if you don't have that, if if you're sitting on 160 acres that hasn't had anything done Full to of it eight in 30 years. Oaks and, yeah, yeah. That, that only had, it's a monoculture of oak trees, or there's no natural openings, and there's no understory. Yeah, you're not going to find them there unless it's a really good bird year. Yep. Hmm. Or something got flushed over there or whatever. Exactly. Yep. What was it, What was the name of that app that you said? So it's the Scout. It's Scout, the letter N, Hunt. Okay. It's made by Northwoods Enterprises or Northwinds Enterprises, one of the two. And I would say, you know, as far as going, how do you get into it and stuff like that, uh, let's... <laughs> You don't. You definitely don't need a dog. And the thing about the the state forest and the the large woodscapes up north, there's logging trails everywhere. Yep. As, and and you can just you literally can just go for a hike, and there's a good chance you'll flush yep, grouse. And, and yeah. Minnesota has hundreds and hundreds of miles of hunter walking trails. Yeah. In grouse cover, we have rough grouse management areas throughout the state, and you can find all that on the Minnesota DNR website. Yep. I've all like doing like a little bit of research and said okay how far do you have to go to get a good grouse population and every everything that pulled up on the google machine was chippewa national forest yep and uh and i was like okay and that's where i suppose i should have pulled it up but like where does that line start is that i know it's up by like aurora and like hoyt lakes like the iron range type area but does that how far south is i'm that? not sure no. quite how far south that comes actually i'd have to look at a map yeah. but there's a lot of it i'll tell you that you yep. you'd so, never like walk I've, every trail in a year you know we have minnesota has 11 million acres of public land hmm. yeah we're and super I lucky would, i would venture to say that well over half of it is in rough grouse country whether yeah. it's county forest state forest federal forest ground yeah tax forfeit land well, yes, I, I didn't. That. I didn't know that we had it. You know, being in Buffalo, I didn't know that there was grouse in up in Sherburne by Big Lake. Yeah, well, I, we're gonna bow hunt tomorrow. I flush grouse there many times. Yeah, I thought but, you know, we, I mean, like there's not there. huge numbers. No, there. no, no, but like you, there's still some there. So yeah. it's, it's a good thing you told me that because otherwise we'd be walking up like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, like I said, if if you're gonna go target grouse for a day. You know, yes, you'll find some there, but I wouldn't waste no, all day walking. No, I, I would drive I, another I would half north. hour, forty-five minutes, yep. being better. Yep, there's a there's a lot of grouse country in this state. So, um, just to go back, because this is one thing that I definitely experienced with you going back to woodcock, and I don't know if grouse have the same same thing, but you shoot a woodcock out of the air, and the old wife's tale is that as soon as they hit the ground, they don't smell anymore. Is so, that true? <laughs> And I don't, I don't know if there's any scientific information behind this, but everyone everyone I've ever talked to says that after you shoot a woodcock, they dissipate their scent, which means that they don't put off any other scent. Yep. And 
that's more of like a survival tactic. Like if a bird becomes injured, it just like a baby deer. Stop you know, stinking. It doesn't, doesn't put off any scent. <laughs> and I mean, they're small to begin with. Right. Like, you know, they're the size of a quail. Right. So they're already small to begin with. So it's already hard for dogs to find them. But right. then when they're dead, if that actually is the case. And I mean, I've had dogs that have a hard time finding woodcocks. It's the darn, it, dude, it's the damnedest thing. Cause I've, both of our dogs, we've seen them point or sniff out a woodcock. We shoot it. We literally watch it die by this one lone little sapling. The dogs go up there and they can't find it. Like it's it's well, it it's the like craziest thing I've ever seen. I know, but it do, it's not right. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me why that would happen. I mean, I I believe it. Yeah, I, no, I'll believe it. I've heard enough people say it, and like enough people that know what they're talking about say it. I've never seen any scientific information to yeah. back it up, but. You know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, there was one a couple of years ago. Uh, you and I went out and we got into some woodcock and we shot that one. Remember, it fell by that little tree. We're like, it's dead yeah, right we here. We spent 10, 15 minutes looking for it. Looking. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Dogs came through there. I don't know how many how times. How many times. And I can't remember if you ended up stepping on it. Yeah, or... yeah I just started kicking the grass around like, well, it's got to be. And then, oh, holy crap. There it is. It's yeah. underneath this little bit of grass. Dead yeah. as a door now. I mean, that <laughs> thing never wiggled once it hit the ground. And like, I'll say this, like sharp tails, grouse, woodcock, it doesn't take much to kill them. You get a, yeah. a BB into them and yep. they're down. Yep. And you know, with the scent thing, kind of, you were talking how they don't have oil and stuff in their feathers like yep. waterfall. You know, oil stinks and holds odors. Uh, yep, you know, yep. so if they're a dry feather bird, it probably... Yep. Is a factor, but what? So we've we've mentioned this like multiple times through the podcast, and I said something to you earlier. And I'm really gonna like, what the fuck is a prairie chicken? <laughs> like, like I've, so, I've I've heard people like I'm yeah. going prairie chicken, and I just I'm always thinking, oh, okay, you're just going out and go like another name for a pheasant. Okay. So like, pra- prairie chickens and sharp-tailed grouse are basically in the same category. I would put them in the same category. Um, sharp tails. When you're out west, sharp tails like shorter grass, and prairie chickens are like a mid grass, a mid height grass bird of the prairie. Um, they're the same size as sharp tail. The only difference really is their feather pattern. So, prairie chickens have bars, and sharp tails have like horseshoes. And a prairie chicken doesn't have like a pointed tail. It has a, a square barred tail, kind of like a rough grouse, but it's only like an inch or two long. But so they're both and blunt, not pointy like a sharp tail. Yep. Yeah. Just, yep. just a f- short square tail. So yep. when you're talking about like the that like the feathers are U shape, like the, the pattern or the pattern the on the okay. feather are U shape. So if if you were to Google images of sharp tail grouse versus prairie chickens, like the bars I'm talking about are like a straight bar right across their underside and breast, whereas a prairie chicken and or a sharp tail grouse in that area. Their feathers have like these little horseshoe hmm. designs on them. And I always like I thought it was pheasant, and mm-hmm. then I obviously looked some stuff up, and it's just weird that they call them prairie chickens because everyone that hunts grouse, and I kind of want to cover a little bit of this is they always say it tastes like chicken. Like is that like the like the main reason why a, people a grouse? Yeah, it's because so, they they're a tasty bird, super like, tasty. Really so good. rough grouse. Are a light colored meat. Spruce grouse, sharp tails, and prairie chickens are red meat. They're dark meat. Hmm. And the, a lot of them will get a bad rap on taste because people overcook them. They cook them like a light colored meat where they cook it all the way through. 
well, if you're eating sharp tails or prairie chickens or spruce grouse, and I've I I've never ate a spruce grouse before, so yeah. I heard people say they don't taste that good, but I've also heard them say the same thing about sharp tails and prairie chickens, and I've had them, and I think they're delicious. So you cook it like like a steak. Yeah, keep them a little little bit rarer on the inside. Don't overcook them. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, like my kids, my. My four-year-old loves prairie chicken. <laughs> just absolutely loves it. But she tells everybody, I like prairie chicken. It's so good. But like, And you can cook it so many different ways. And with kids, I normally I'll bread it and fry it. Yeah, because everything tastes yep, good. And, yeah, and then I'll just cook it in like a stick of butter. Yeah. yeah. Slow cook it. Yep. You know, don't. I don't want it to be dark when it comes out, like the edges of my whatever batter I decide to use. I want it to be like golden brown, mm-hmm. you know, and oh, tender yummy. on the inside. Like my my eight year old loves quail. If do we if have quail in Minnesota? We do, but we don't have a season for them because our population is so small. So, like, it, can you tell a difference when it's flying? Like, or, or do you think it's a grouse? No, quail are tiny. Quail are smaller than your pop can. Yeah. They're, they're that tiny. small. Yeah. Tiny. They're Their like, bodies, yeah. What are they, like six, seven ounces? Oh, yeah. Like, and it'd be like a northern bobwhite or a, you know, that, whatever yeah, that, you might that's see. That's all we'd have. That's all we'd have. Yeah, so. And those are only down in southeastern Minnesota. Yes, I always think of uh, wedding crashers when they're out. I don't even know what a fucking <laughs> yeah. quail is. <laughs> 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 they're decimating the grubber population. <laughs> Which is a freaking lie. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are tiny and they, I mean, you want to, I've never hunted quail. Like, you know, some chuckers <laughs> on a game farm is the closest thing I've got to. And uh, I take that back. We did see, I did see Bob White quail back when I was, whatever, 15 and you could go out small game hunting without parents. My, me and my buddy Adam went to some state land over out by Maple Lake. And we loaded up our 22s to go, you know, uh, squirrel hunting. And there's freaking bobwhite quails there in the parking lot. Somebody probably released probably them for training. For bird training. Yeah, I know. But it was just funny. Like, there's freaking quail. Look, look at that. I just can't believe they're that small. They're like, tiny. The, like, standing, their, their height is half of a beer can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Google them right now. You'll see. It's it's and crazy. That's, that's part of the reason why we don't have them up here because our climate is not the best for them. They can't handle long suspended periods of cold and wet. Um, there's, yep, there's a quail for you. Yeah, that's that. Is, it it looks like a grout. Like obviously from the picture, type, it looks like type in like, bob white quail and look that up. You guys put me on the spot those, here. What you're looking at are like gambles and California quail. There you go. Oh, they're cool. Oh, they're so little though, man. They're they're a blast to hunt. I would love to have it show you what that is next to a a rooster. You'd be like, what in the? (laughs) They're cool looking though. Like the they got the white on the head. Yep, and that the white ones are males. The female, if you look in that picture to the right, this one right here. Yep, the female have a buff color where the males have the white. Oh yeah. Yep, and they're those are a, a true covey bird. They cannot survive on their own especially in the cold. So when they roost, they roost in a circle with their tail feathers in. All touching, basically? And they're all touching. And that's to keep themselves warm. And then also, you know, once the sun comes up and they can see, because, you know, birds can't see at night like that. <laughs> they'll, uh, it, it helps protect from predators. Or like when you're hunting. Yep. Like if, when we were hunting in Nebraska last year, and we, the first day it snowed, you know, we got down there and all the birds that we were shooting were coming off of a roost 
and you could see where they had roosted in the snow. You could see the, the little, little hot the spot. little circle where they kept their warmth, you know, and yep. it, there was no snow where they were sitting, but there was snow all around them. Yep. They got like a really cool, it almost looks like a little bit of like a pheasant, the way that their pattern is. Like it's Yeah, that speckled like, belly the, pattern. Yeah, and, yeah, and when yep. you, if you shoot one, good luck finding it. Yeah. Because I mean, they're, they blend in so well. We had, when we were in Nebraska after that snowstorm, like it was so dry down there when we got there that that snow it didn't melt it just disintegrated mm-hmm. <laughs> turned to powder and it was gone <laughs> well we we got into this one covey and i shot a bird and my buddy don shot a bird out of it and i marked mine down exactly where it fell and i went right to it got the dog in there dogs going around can't find it can't find it can't find it can't find it well our other buddies were up on a hillside they come down and I'm like, I dropped a bird right here. I know it's right here. I don't know why the dog can't smell it. It's dry as shit right now. But so my buddy Mitch puts his gun down on the ground where I thought it dropped. And we just start making little circles in there. And I call the dog back in over and over and over and over again. And we can't find shit. And this isn't like four foot tall grass No, this and was stuff. like shin high grass. And Mitch is on his hands and knees combing through. And every time he's running his hands through the grass, dust is just coming out. That's how dry it was. <laughs> and then, you know, we'd been looking for this one bird in like 15 minutes. And I'm like, I Good know I stoned it. Good for you. I watched this thing drop. It's dead and it's sitting right here somewhere. And my setter, Sam, came through one last time and locked up right there. Jeez. And I'm like, here's my bird. And I'm looking for it. It's a foot away from Mitch's gun. Oh, my gosh. A foot away from where Mitch put his gun down. And we never saw it. And he looked through that area two or three times. On his hands and knees. Yeah. I, I it's took, I it's took hard to pictures. describe until you see it. I took wow. pictures of this thing. And I'll see if I yeah, can find you'll it have to te- Yeah, see if you can find it and text it to us. Put it up on the border page and say, can, yeah. you, can you see the quail? But yeah, like, it's it was just crazy. We, <sighs> so I was um, I was looking up like different ways to obviously like to eat yep. grouse. And I came across a episode of Meat Eater. They're up in uh, somewhere way up in the mountains of Montana. And they're shooting these grouse and they're freaking. I, I can't remember what. The big gr- dark ones. They're in huge. the pine trees. Yeah. The guy uh, when he They first, were hunting blue grouse. Yeah. yeah. Duskies. Yeah. And he's, yep. he's, he thought it was a turkey. Because it was, it was <laughs> yeah. so big. Yep. But they did, um, like, when we were going back on, like, the Brotherhood, they talked about, like, you know, the hitch cleaner yep. for cleaning it. Well, they did something similar where they they put their foot. They put the bird on its back. And, and then, then they step s- on the inside of its wings. Yeah. Up and then close they, to its armpits. And they pull back. Pull and, on the legs. Yeah. And all the it, all the stuff comes right the out. The legs and the breastplate and breast meat all comes out in the yep. guts and back. Backbone yeah. and spine yep. and stay. You, we do that with pheasants too. Yeah, it'll work. I never saw, I've never seen that before. And it, it's you know it's the same concept as the bird hitch. You can, if you're strong enough, you can do it with any bird really, as long as the wings aren't shot up. You know, when mm-hmm. the wings are broken, the wings come with it. And yeah, it, it sucks that way. Here's that picture. That See was if you can find that quick. J- Joe Bullard, Joe Bullard, the guy that took me on my first grouse hunt. You know, we shot that first grouse. And I, like I was obviously looking yeah, for like, I, I framed you, it so you could see it, but yeah, it's yeah, you got a text that's us where that. the bird was. It, 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 it's it's almost like less than a foot from it because you can yeah. see his gun sitting there, yep. and it looks like you guys mess with the grass. Yeah. I'm sure it was over the top. Yep. You, yeah, you cannot see that thing. And their yeah. camouflage is so good. Yeah, you know, and they're small to begin with. Right, right. He's, like if he just showed you that picture with, and, and didn't tell you there's a, a bird in it. You yeah. would never see it. Just say, what's in the picture? Yeah. 
Oh, oh, oh yeah, I see your gun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> pretty nice butt, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, but going back to the bird clan thing, I remember because, like, um, it was actually a lot of fun. So we grouse hunted all day, flushed a couple. Then we were walking through this section of woods, and his, uh, his, I believe it was his dad's dog, got started to get birdie. Sure enough, a grouse gets up from behind a log, flies up, and then it goes straight over my head. And on my second shot, straight above my head, I had that 12 gauge 870 Express. I shoot. And Joe told me these are these birds are big pussies. Like they're the all you gotta do is get one BB in them, right? And they'll go down. And this thing flies over my head, and I pull the trigger, and I, I see it like flutter in the air and, and and land on the ground. And same thing, we had a hard time finding it, and we found it, and it was actually still alive. And and then <laughs> Joe like rings its neck, and he just we get back to the truck, and he does the whole, hey, I'll show you how to clean this thing. And I thought it was the funniest freaking thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> Like a, it, it looks like black magic when you see somebody clean a bird that fast. You know, try it. I I want to go. You guys gotta take me, girl. It, it's fun. It's fun. I it, I think we talked last time you were on, Joe. The fun thing about upland hunting, especially if you've done waterfowling or archery bow hunting, like there's definitely work to be done with the stuff. But you can get up, have your cup of coffee. Oh, uh, you know what? You know, like for pheasants, you can't even hunt them till after nine a.m. In you this know, state. In yeah. this state, right, exactly. But grouse you can go for at, at sunrise, right? you know, as soon as you can see them, basically. So, um, but still, you can have your cup of coffee, put on your boots, tie them nice and tight, stretch, take your time, go for a nice walk through the woods I, and get some action. I just want to, like, you kept talking about your dogs. I just want to go watch your dogs work. It's like, fun. When, when well, you, come, like, on, come on out to the trial. You'll see. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're, last year we had, in the championship trial, we had... 36 dogs so we run their one hour braces and we run six braces a day so we had 18 braces of dogs we had three days of just championship trial and then we have a derby that follows that that's half hour long braces and those are younger dogs with less experience and then they have less training so they don't have to be steady through the flush through the shot or any of that so no go ahead i was just gonna say you um during the trials, you probably don't know because the whole GPS rule and stuff like that. But generally speaking, on an average hunt, how many miles do you think your your pointers will put on? So, like when I'm hunting, I have, you know, if you look at my Onyx, and I'm not going to show you my Onyx. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I look at my Onyx, I've got, you know, the areas that I hunt are just covered yep. in spots. So, like especially for grouse hunting, because your your covers age out over time. Right. You've got to constantly find new spots to go. So, you know, about half of the time I'm hunting, I'm hunting spots that I've previously hunted. And the other half, I'm looking for new spots. Sure, and covering finding ground. new areas that, you know, they may not be good this year, but in a couple of years from now, they're going to be really good. Right. So, you know, a lot of my hunts, I may only be on the ground for 45 minutes at sure. a time you know, before I'm loaded up and moving on to the next one. Right. Because I put, I try to put myself in the best spots possible, which is why on a low year, I can still get into, you know, four grouse an hour. Which is pretty good. Yeah. 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 That's so, that's, I mean, that's really good. Over the last eight years, you know, when I first, when I first like really started focusing on grouse, you know, it was, I was happy if I moved a couple birds a day. Yep. 
Well, if I go out now and I move less than one bird an hour, I get pissed. <laughs> sure. Like, <laughs> what a waste of my time. Set the you know, standards my, my, high yeah. right my, clo- <laughs> my closest cover from my house is an hour and a half. Right. So if I want to be up there at sunrise, well, shit, I got to leave my house at, you know, 530. Yep. So, and I got to get up before that because I've got three dogs at home and I don't take all three. I don't grouse hunt over my lab anymore. She's almost 11. Right. So I'm... You know, feeding dogs, loading dogs, letting other dogs out to go to the bathroom, all that, getting all my stuff ready to go, making sure I have everything, because I'm going to spend a whole day up in the woods if it's a nice day. Right. If the temperature's cool enough, you know. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy, so I don't like to hunt when it's hot. That's why it's hard for me, like right now, this time of year, like tomorrow's going to be 87 degrees. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. no fun. I'm not going to go hunting tomorrow. Fuck that. No. <laughs> no. I'm going to mow my lawn. <laughs> well, you're, t- you're talking before the podcast about how you slept in this morning and yeah. you want to cut your grass. Yeah. And th- Every hour from nine o'clock on, yeah. you kept walking out there to see if it was wet. Yeah, no, nope, still too wet. Too wet. Oh, too wet. <laughs> yeah, at eleven o'clock, it, my shoes were still getting wet. I'm like, no, you know, and then I didn't get to do it because we had a birthday party that day, so I didn't get to do it at all. So tomorrow, I'm gonna mow lawn. I'm gonna do other crap, and yep. But yeah, so I mean, I'll hunt all day long, but you know, at a given spot. I'm only on the ground for, you know, if I'm up, if I'm in one cover for an hour, it's because it's a really big cover. Okay. So, and I rotate dogs every cover. Right. Just because I have more than one dog. So that's mm-hmm. what I do. I give them each their shot. And, you know, when I have got a young dog, I try and put the young dog in the best cover I can find to get them the most experience and most bird contacts I can. It doesn't always work out. You know, sometimes it's I'll, a guessing game, sometimes right? I'll go into a spot and be like, well, there should be one in here and I'll move 10 birds in there. Right. And I'll be like, shit, I wish I had the other dog with. <laughs> yep. It is what it is. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, like, so I average a bird every 15 minutes. Nice. Just by going off of old points on my GPS and new stuff that I'm looking at. So right. when I'm going through my scout and hunt app, you know, I'm looking for, for cuts that have just popped up or cuts that are starting to age out that are closer to a younger cut. You know, and I'm just like, oh, okay, well, this one looks good. I'm going to check this one out today. Yep. Or I'll drop pins on my, I color coordinate all my pins on my Onyx app. Sure. And so I have to go when I, because my scout and hunt doesn't transfer over to Onyx. So I have to find it on my scout and hunt and then kind of see where I'm at on there. And then I'll go and drop a pin on my Onyx and I'll color coordinate it. And like I use, I use white for spots that I haven't hunted but look good. And I'll use yellow for spots that I've that I haven't even like taken a look at. Okay. Like I'll just, you still want to get there and really scout it. If I'm, if I'm pheasant hunting, like I'll just go through and be like, okay, right here, yellow, 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 probably won't have time, but just keep them in the future. Yep. The white spots. Okay. Well, this looks really good. I want to hit this this year. Yep. And then after I've hunted them, I'll either keep them or I'll delete them. Hmm. And when I keep them, I change them to red. And I always put a note in, like I was pheasant hunting a couple spots last year where I moved birds, but it looked like it would have been really good when there was snow on the ground. Sure. So I just write, okay, this date I moved this many birds. Cover looks okay. It looks way better if there was snow. Okay. You know, and like when there's snow in the woods, I don't like to hunt when the snow is crunchy in the woods. Yep. Because if my dog goes on point, you know, I've got to get all the way up to that dog and I'm crunching and crunching right. and crunching. I had a day last year where we moved eight birds in an hour. And I never got within 50 yards of them. Sure. The dog was. Yep. You know, the dog would be on point for a couple minutes while I'm getting there, but I couldn't get within 50 yards of the dog. 
before the wow. birds would go out. And I'd, I'd either hear them go out or I'd see them go out because in the winter you can see way better. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, grouse hunting doesn't really hit its peak until the leaves are down. Yep. yep. You know, what? like right now, yeah, you'll get into birds. It's hard. still fun, but it's hard to even see them, let alone get a shot at them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've already seen guys today. Today was grouse opener. I've seen guys today that went out and got into really good bird numbers. You know, I don't know if they had dogs or if, you know, I've seen tailgate pictures. Sure. Some of the trucks had kennels in them. Some of them didn't. Sure. I can only assume that the guys that didn't have dogs in the picture were road hunting. Right. Which, if that's all you got to do, that's how you do it. Yep. So, like, the road hunting, um, that's just on a, like, you're not off of a county road. You're in in the woods on, like, Some, Some guys will do it on, like, forest roads. Yeah, or two, like, like two track logging roads. Like yeah. we've hunted up in Wisconsin a couple times, where the cover in Wisconsin, like northwestern Wisconsin, there's a lot of aspens, a lot. Like it's almost like a monoculture of aspens in northwestern Wisconsin, like Douglas County. And we've hunted up there, and we go during the week when we take our trips. Less competition from other guys. Yep. Well, you'd get out in the evenings, and you'd be dropping a dog at a spot. And there'd just be trucks coming up and down. (laughs) Headlights and, oh, yeah. You know, and all they do is they just drive the roads that last half hour of daylight waiting for these birds to come out and pick grit. And they'll jump out of their truck and shoot them and put them in the back. And, like, some of the guys, they'll just, they'll stand on the wings, pull the legs out, and throw the rest on the road and throw the wings and the breasts in their truck and keep going. Yep. Fawn. (laughs) Is that illegal? Can you do that? I Look at your laws. Look at your local laws. Like, again, in Minnesota, if. If it's a county road, no, you can't shoot off a road. No, I mean like but, when you're on a logging trail and you can clean them and just toss yeah. But if it's not a so, if it's not a it's a, not a sanctioned road, like birds in yeah. general. If you look at the at the rules and regulations booklet that Minnesota puts out, when you transfer birds, when you're taking birds with you, you either you know waterfall, you know, you're taking them off the pond, they're fully feathered and everything. But you can you can clean them. You have to have a fully feathered wing. Or a head, a fully feathered head and one leg with a foot attached. Right. Hmm. Yeah, so don't don't, don't they, shoot them off your logging road and then breast them out and put them in a bag and no, like, you that, could get bit for that. That's illegal. They don't, they don't know what they it don't is. They don't know what it is. Yep. They're going off of what you're telling them it is. Mm-hmm. Now, like when we go out on a hunting trip, I bring a, a vacuum sealer with me. And what we do out there is at the end of the day when we're cleaning birds, I'll make a bunch of bags and we'll put one bird in each bag, you know, whether it's got a wing, two wings, or the leg, or whatever, usually we just will stand on them and pull the feet up, and we'll take that breast. Because when you're pheasant hunting, you know the legs are full of tendons. Because pheasants use their legs more than any other game bird out there; they run constantly. And those game, those the tendons in their legs, when you cook them down, they get hard. Mm-hmm. When you smoke them, they get soft. I don't know if it's the brine that does that. If it breaks down the tendons weird. in it, maybe it's slow and slow. Like yeah, uh, I don't know. But yeah. like if you if you take a whole pheasant and put it in the crock pot, those leg tendons are they you know they get hard and rigid. But um, so we'll when we go on a hunting trip, we'll put one bird in a bag, vacuum seal it, and then we'll write down you know what state it came from, what it is, male, female, whatever. And then that way, if you get checked, because I've I've been coming home from South Dakota duck hunting. And they have a roadblock. Yeah. They're they're asking anybody, have you been hunting or fishing? You say, yes. Okay, pull in here at this stop. We're going to go through all your shit Mm -hmm. and see what you have. So it makes it a lot easier for you and any DNR officer that wants to check you if you have everything bagged and labeled. And they can just go through. And if they ask you if you have anything else, 
you know, they might just see your cooler and see all everything in here cataloged and be like, okay, well, thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah. Yep. You yeah. know, it just, it takes the hassle out of it. For sure. And, and so often they just need, to, like, they can tell if you don't even know what you were supposed to be doing right yep. away. Yeah. Like, yeah. if they open, like you said, if you have it all cataloged, labeled bags, like, okay, these guys know what they're supposed to do. Sometimes they won't even count your birds. Like, yeah. okay, yep. have a nice day. Hmm. Yep. And like, I know guys, like, if it's cold out and they're hunting out in Dakotas or pheasants, they'll just gut them out. Leave them fully sure. feathered, leave the whole body, just, you know, cut a hole in the butt and pull all the guts out. And yep. then they'll just throw them out in a snowbank until they're ready to go home. And yep. they load everything up in a cooler and drive home. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we did two years ago. Mm-hmm. We went out there. It was cool enough for that. Hmm. That's interesting. I like it. Yeah, it's like fun. It. It's a lot of fun. So I got one more question. And both of you guys can chime in on it to, to wrap this up. So for you guys being avid especially you joe being that's you like upland hunting and seth you doing it you know as much as you can i do it's a hobby for me but it's joe's thing so so. on on an average morning you said you wake up at whatever time what are the what what are some equipment that you need to have this like do you need blades orange do you boots like what are you what are some essential things that you need to go out and to go grouse hunting I'll, t- I'll take it first just for me as an entry-level kind of guy doing yep. it for fun. I, w- I personally just want a, a very comfortable pair of boots so I can put on some miles, whether it's down a four-wheeler trail, logging road, or bushwhacking like you should be doing. And then in Minnesota, you do need uh, orange for small game hunting regulations, right? So, so orange hat and a vest and okay. stuff like that. Um, I w- you don't need a bird hunting vest for grouse. Like I'd say it's more important for pheasants. Cause they're small enough birds where like just big coat pockets, you could stuff a bird in it, <laughs> but, but it, it's really nice to have. You don't need a dog, but it's it really nice <laughs> to have. So I would just say you need a gun that you're comfortable shooting, good pair of boots and enough orange to be legal. Like I like to strip things down to the basics. Now that's just to say you can go grouse hunting. But with that being said, if you're going to hit it hard like you do, Joe, what do you think you really need to have? Okay, I'll give you a breakdown of what I have on me at all times when I'm grouse hunting. So I've got a GPS, whether it's for my dog collar or just a GPS in general to see where I'm at and which direction I'm going, you know, at the bare minimum, a compass. Yep. So you you know which way you need to get out of somewhere. Um, I've got light loads. And when I mean light loads, I'm talking for my shotgun. Um, grouse, you know, you can hunt with seven and a halves, sevens. I wouldn't, you know, the bigger you go, the less BBs you got open chokes. Cause you're not going to be popping off. Yeah. Improved chokes, you know, nothing improved cylinder, modified cylinder. You're not going to be popping off 40 yards to the woods. You know, that's rare opportunity. If you're hunting in thick cover, you're not going to see a bird 40 yards out. Um, let's see. I carry a first aid kit for my dog and that'll have like a needle nose pliers, a forceps, um, what else? Um, so we have a lot of porcupines in Minnesota, and they have this this thing. It's called a porcupine jig, and it's basically just a wooden dowel about 8 to 10 inches long, and it's got a rope attached on each end of it. So you can put that in the back of your dog's mouth, cinch that rope down, and it'll hold your dog's mouth open, and you can pull quills out. if yeah. there's. Yeah, because you ha- your dog had a run-in with a I, porcupine. I've had, I've had my, one, my uh, wire hair got into a porcupine up in Wisconsin one year, and... 
she had a lot. She had well over 100 quills in her mouth. Oh. And that that was too many for me to take out for the first time. So we ended up making an emergency vet trip because it was Thursday at 5.30. Well, we were an hour from the closest vet. So by the time we got there, we had to go to emergency vet. That was $580 oh, yeah. to get, that, get them all pulled out. But um, so yeah, forceps for quills. Do not break the quills off. Some people will tell you you break them off and then the air comes out of them and it makes them easier to pull. It does not. Huh. Just pull them out slowly. Oof. Yeah. That would not be a fun job. Especially I never, when you're talking 100 freaking quills in a dog's face. I've actually yeah. seen some really cool techniques in the last couple of years. So guys will have like two needle nose pliers. And what they'll do is they will take one and grab the quill and the other one and go at the base of the quill to hold the, the flesh of the dog down. So when you pull it out, it doesn't pull up on the flesh okay and doesn't tear all that because there might be quills right next to it right and when you pull up and the flesh comes with it those other quills work their way in farther sure because those quills are barbed mm-hmm. you know and they're barbed going in they're not meant to come out right so when you pull them out you know it takes some force oh yeah Oof. yeah and if i mean if you're not comfortable with it a porcupine your dog picking up a porcupine is not going to kill your dog Okay, your dog is will be fine. Just gives him a little, little yeah, sore. Yeah, so mouth. we were about a mile in, in Wisconsin, and my dog walked the whole way out to the truck, rode an hour in the truck all the way up to the vet, and she was fine. The only thing you really need to worry about is later, if they don't get all the quills, those quills will travel through the body. Just keep working their way deeper yep, from the bars. Deeper and, and deeper. Yep. And, you know, if they get into a bloodstream, that's where you've got some trouble. Like, I had, I had quills popping out of the side of her neck, like, a month later. No way. Yeah. Wow. Because they weren't able to get them all. Because she, she freaked out when she did it, and she was pawing at her mouth and breaking a bunch off in right. the roof of her mouth. So if you can keep that dog calm, you know, if you have to tie their feet together so they can't sit and paw at everything and break them off and push them in deeper, go ahead and do it. And how long are these porcupine? Oh, about two inches. You know, depending on the on the age of the porcupine and the size of the porcupine, smaller porcupines have smaller quills. Bigger ones have big quills. Now, the one that she tried to pick up was about 20 pounds. So Ooh, it was good a big, size it was porcupine, a big yeah. And I will tell you right now that I wish every state that ever had porcupines would have a bounty on those Because <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, if God made all, cre- all creatures, I don't know what the hell he was thinking when he made porcupines, because <laughs> what's the point? They serve no damn purpose. <laughs> They They're make, cute when you see them up close. Yeah, they make vets money, and that's about it. Because yeah. <laughs> they don't they don't do any good for me. <laughs> but yeah, so first aid kit for the dog, light loads, a GPS or a compass. You ha- and I think in the state of Minnesota, before any firearm deer season, you're required to have at least an orange hat. Okay. Um, let's see. I have an orange hat, and I usually try and wear like an orangish color shirt or vest. Right. Like my. I think it's a good idea just because of the yep. thick cover you're exactly. in, yep. trying to see your, especially if you're hunting with another hunter, yep. you know. And I mean, you're, you're, let's face it, you're not going to hide from a grouse. No. They're going to they hear, you, hear you coming long before you ever know they're right. there. So it, you know, and they can't see color like that anyway, so it doesn't matter. Right. So, I mean, if you want to wear blaze orange head to toe, go ahead, you know. Yep. Do what, do what makes you feel safe. Yep. Um, What else? You know, good boots. And I mean. On a typical year, the woods can be pretty wet. There'll be a lot of low, wet spots. So waterproof is a plus. If not, I try and carry at least an extra pair in my truck. Maybe an extra pair of socks, too. Uh, Brush pants. Something that's thicker, that kind of 
sheds off some of the thorns because there's a lot like hawthorns. Yeah. You know, some some of the stuff in the woods has like a two inch spike to it. And it, it hurts if you're just walking around in jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Do you prefer that style upland pant versus trying to put on a chap or something like that? So I've never liked chaps because I don't have hips. <laughs> I don't. I don't have like you know. Sure. I've, I've got a muffin top. Okay. So if I wear chaps, they pull down on my pants. Right. And I'm constantly having to hike my pants up, and I've I've never been a suspender person. I know right. guys that wear them and love them. I've just never been into that. So I'm more of a like an upland pant kind of guy. Yep. And I had the old Carhartt upland pants for a long time. Well. They don't have a whole lot of give to them. No, they rip right. You know, well, yeah. you can't lift your leg. In, like, no when, I'm, when I'm hunting, there's a lot of deadfalls too. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to crawl over shit instead of going all the way around it. And it's hard to lift your legs up. So this year, I'm trying out a couple different pairs of pants. I, You know, they have Pike Gear, Sitka, um, First Light. There's another one that's called Upland Outfitter that makes an Upland pant. So I'm trying, trying a pair of Sitkas this year and a pair of First Lights. Nice. And I've been running dogs in both of them, and I like them both so far. I don't know if they're going to be super durable, right? But for the price point, I got them at a pretty decent price. I, so. I wonder nice. if those Duluth Trade Company fire hose. Yeah, I know are. guys that wear them. Yeah, yep. And they actually they have another one now. The their flex jeans you can get them with a double layer, like from the thigh down now too. Oh, yeah. So they kind of classify as an upland pant. So I don't know some guys that are trying them out this year, but. Yeah, it's. I want something that I can flex in and move in. Yeah, and be able to walk as much as I can. Oh, I hear you. Um, I we we went a while back. We were talking on an episode. We went on a rant about jeans and stuff, and like the car. Like I'm like you. I got the muffin top. Yep. I want to be able to move. Yep. So I bought some of the Duluth Trade, like the Firehose Flex. Yep. And I've used them for bow hunting a couple times. They're not as thick up on the thighs and stuff like yep. you say, but I could see why now. Yeah, and I mean, I I just, I want to be comfortable. Yep. You know, I can handle with getting a little wet because, you know, you'll dry out throughout the day or you can always change clothes too. Yep. But I just, I want to be comfortable when I'm walking because I don't want, I don't want my clothes to be the thing that keeps me from being in the woods. Mm -hmm. So I'll do whatever I can to be comfortable to stay out as long as possible. And, you know, keep an eye on your dogs at every time you get out of the woods, check your dog over, check them for ticks, you know. On a normal year, ticks can be really bad, and deer ticks especially are so damn small. I carry a tick comb. I carry one in my vest, and I keep a spare one in one of my bags in my truck. And I just run that tick comb through the dog every time I'm done. You know, we check for burrs, anything in the eyes. You know, there's lots of stuff in the woods that can F with a dog. You know, get in their eyes. You get puncture wounds on the chest. If you look at Sam's chest, he's got, like, little lumps all over from being cut so many times. Yeah, running through brush and sticks. Yep. So, just... That kind of thing, you know, yep. preventative maintenance on your animal. Yeah. You know, if you're hunting with a dog. Yep. And have, you know, most guys do. They've got a chip in the ear and all that stuff now, but have your dog collared and all the contact because you can lose a dog in these woods pretty freaking yeah. easy, especially you if know, you have a if, runner or a deer chaser yeah, or something yeah, like that. Exactly. If your dog's not deer broke, like if you have a dog ch- or a deer chaser and you're hunting in the woods, chances are you're going to come across, you know, multiple deer at some point. And if you don't have a GPS on your dog or some sort of electronic collar on your dog to stop that dog from chasing deer. You know, it's just a crapshoot guessing on how far that dog's going to take it and where it's going to end up. Yep. You know, yeah. if, if you're 
I run a collar on like a, just a leather collar on my dog that has my name and my contact information. If anybody ever comes across him, you know, whether it's whether it's on your tags or if it's on the collar itself, right. it's a good idea. We, we constantly hear about dogs getting lost in the woods, you know, especially guys that have never hunted in the woods before with dogs that aren't accustomed to the echoes that the woods give off. You know, you can be 50 yards from your dog talking to your dog and your dog might think you're 50 yards in the other direction. Yeah. So they so head for it. <laughs> yep. So your dog takes off after, after your echo and you get louder and louder and louder as the dog's getting away. Well, the echo's carrying and the dog's just pushing to that sound. So be, be conscious of, of what's going on as far as echoes and cover throughout the year. Yep. You know, later in the year, it's easier to see everything. Early in the year, everything's denser and you might not see everything that happens. Yep. That's a good point with the leather collar because even just household dogs, the um, their tags, they always fall off. Right. So having that leather yep. collar. Mine, mine's got on. a nice big plate on it that's yep. riveted to the collar. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Got so, a lot invested in these dogs. You don't want to lose them. Exactly. Plus, they're your buddy. Yeah. You don't want to lose them. So. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you guys want to hit quick? Or, I mean, we covered a uh, lot. You could probably hold with joe here you could hold three more episodes just <laughs> like this so we didn't we didn't get into any of the hunting stories like no, the no. I can, and all that I can stuff so well, right maybe if he feels up to it he can come back uh around uh pheasant pheasant opener or maybe later for in the sure season. yeah you'll definitely have to come back on after these trials and stuff yep. you know so and yeah. what what's the you you belong to like a kennel or so or our group yep the minnesota grouse dog association we have a facebook page we don't have a website um you can go on Facebook and find us, Minnesota Grouse Dog Association, MGDA. Um, and we post all our trial dates on there, winter results, and then we'll have some stuff throughout the year. And then there's the the Moose River Grouse Dog Club and then the Chippewa Grouse Dog Association. Those, those other two are in Wisconsin. But, um, yeah, you know, there's, like I said in the last one, you know, there's so many different events out there for dogs you can right. you know navda nastra akc ukc whether it's hunt tests or field trials you know mm-hmm. if, if you're looking for something to extend your season and get your you know work more with your dog there's multiple places you can reach out to and you, most of these people are more than welcoming yep you know we had our summer trial this year we had people come out from montana to run in this trial, you know, and it was, it was cool. Cause you get to meet people from all over. Like right. our, our, it's Min- a competition, but it's not like, yeah. Like our, our championship in October, we'll have guys from Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Um, I don't know if there'll be any from out West farther or not, but yeah. And it's, it's just cool. Cause you get to see these guys year after year and you yep. build some rapport with them and, you know, learn their life stories, you know, and, they bring you stuff like the one guy from Pennsylvania brings honey every year. That oh, he, sweet! He's got he's got bees and he brings all this honey out for us and it, it's a blast. So. Oh man! You should tell him to bring some of that Yingling, that beer. You ever had that? Uh-uh. They're it's a they're popular beer over there. It's a lager. It's called Yingling. Yep, that stuff's good. I we're not I'm not gonna let you tell the story, but Joe had a bee, bee experience recently, so we gotta have him back on to tell uh-huh. us that story next time. So <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Well, you might as well just tell it. Okay, right. tell just it, tell Joe. Right you got to tell it. Okay. <laughs> we'll, end, we'll end it with your yeah. bee story. So I have a longer driveway. It's about a quarter mile long. And uh, before winter, I like to go through and cut all cut down the sides because the sides are grass and swamp grass. And my driveway runs east to west while the snow blows north 
to the south. And if the grass is too long, it just drifts all over my driveway and it makes it a bitch to clean it off. So I go out like this time of year and then I'll try and go out later and I'll cut it all down with my brush cutter, my weed whip or whatever, take it all down to the dirt. So when the snow comes and it blows, it just blows right off and we don't have to do much for plowing. Well, it was what, like two, <laughs> two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago now <laughs> I was going through it and I had got all the way down to the end and I was about three quarters of the way down on the other side and I was, I was going to town and we have a lot of that ivy shit that grows that takes out like everything yep comes off the ground and it climbs up the trees and it kills trees and uh so i was getting into a big patch of that along the driveway i'm just chopping away at it chopping away at it well i hit a i hit a yellow jacket the <laughs> oh. <laughs> and i didn't i didn't know it at first so i'm weed whipping and i had sh- i had a t-shirt on and shorts no i had pants on i had i had pants on and uh i hit this nest and it felt like I just hit a pile of little rocks on the edge of the driveway because all of a sudden, like, something hit my arm. I was like, fuck, that hurt. And then, like, the other side, fuck, that hurt. And then I'm like, shit. I look down <laughs> and I'm covered in yellow jackets. I'm just like, fuck. And I freaked out. <laughs> like, I, I, have a, like, I have a strap that goes around that holds my weed whip yeah. to me, you know, and I just have a brush cutting blade on it. I hit the kill switch on that thing, and for a fat kid, I ran fast. <laughs> I ran all. I ran a good sixty yards away, and I'm swatting at myself left and right as I'm going, and they're just stinging me everywhere, like in my neck, my arms, my shoulders, my back. And I'm just like, God damn it, that hurts. I'll, I'm sitting at home, and I just, I just feel my phone buzz, and I'm like, Oh, Joe sent me a Snapchat. He like never Snapchats, and it's just like a close up. He's all red, sweating his ass off, and he's like, Just got. Swarmed by yellow, you can just see the welts on his neck. He's like, Swell, swarmed by bees. Uh, and he kind of like rambles through what happened quick. And he's like, I can't really breathe that well. I, I'm going to go sit down. <laughs> I, like, I literally, I called my wife as soon as it happened because yeah. she was on her way home. And I'm like, well, I just hit a ground wasp nest. And she's like, are you okay? And at the time, you know, it just hurt. Yeah. I was fine. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm all right. And she's like, all right, well, be careful. You know, and as I'm talking yeah. to her, like. I just started getting dizzy. My chest started to hurt. I could feel it swelling in my oh, throat. No. Like I felt drunk as shit. <laughs> like it, my eyes weren't closing, but everything was starting to flash like black and just get That's really creepy. weird feeling. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I feel good. Right. She's like, well, call 911. And I was just glad I had my phone on me. Right. So like I hung up. Because where, where were you then? Still on the driveway? I was on my driveway yeah. yet and I was home alone. Right. And we live north of Howard Lake. There's, you know, there's a hospital in Cocado and there's a hospital in Buffalo. And those are the closest ones. And like, I've been stung before, like a single time here and there. And it, nothing's ever happened. Well, so I call 911. And as I'm talking to the lady, like I'm having trouble getting words out. Yeah. You know, she's like, well, just sit down wherever you are right now. Just sit down. We'll get somebody there. So I sat on the fucking driveway, <laughs> you know, and I'm like. Yeah, like an hour hour goes by and I get another Snapchat and it's just his feet and he's all strapped into like a gurney. No yeah. shit. Yeah. The a first responder showed up like maybe ten minutes after it happened. And at that point, you know, I was cal- the adrenaline was going away and I was calming down a little bit, but my chest still hurt. I was having a hard time taking deep breaths. And the guy pulls in my driveway and I'm still on the phone with the dispatch because the guy's like, Well, we'll we'll stay on the line with you till somebody gets there. I'm like, okay. He's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, like shit. Yeah. Yeah. I can't breathe. I'm like, I'm super dizzy. And he's like, well, just, you know, slow your breathing down. Just calm down. Take it easy. 
I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just th- sitting there thinking, oh, God, please don't let me die from a fucking bee. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what a way to go, right? So this, and then I'm on the phone with dispatch, and this suburban pulls into my yard, and the guy like rolls his window down. I I don't even remember what he was saying. Like I I wasn't coherent enough to like carry on a conversation with him. He said something about turning around, and I'm like, yeah, I thought it was my neighbor. I thought maybe my neighbor saw me because I have a neighbor that lives a few hundred yards off my driveway. I thought maybe they saw it happen and the guy came over because he kind of looked like my one neighbor. <laughs> he must like, have been out of it, man. I'm like, well, somebody's here right now. I don't know who it is. And they're like, okay, well, we'll if somebody's there, we'll let you go. And I'm like, okay. And this dude just walks over all chill. Yep. How, how you doing, man? What and the I'm heck? Like, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, nothing he had yeah. a, and i see his walkie talkie and i'm like okay. oh this must be a first responder sure and i'm like well yeah dude uh i can't really breathe and i'm having a hard time like staying upright right now and he's like yeah just take it easy man uh ambulance is on its way yep we'll get you taken care of he's like do you do you know what they were and i'm like i don't know i think they were bees <laughs> like, I, I little him. tiny airplanes just like, flying I, into me I, like. hit him, I hit him with my weed whip brush cutting the, the yard and uh he's like well how many how many times were you stung i'm like i don't know like 10 15 something like that mm-hmm. and he's like okay well yeah as soon as they get here we'll get you an EpiPen and we'll get you taken care of and i'm like great he's yeah. like do you do you have any benadryl and i'm like well yeah i have some in the house well at that point my wife pulled in okay so she pulls in and she rolls the window down and he's like, can you get him some Benadryl? And she's like, yeah, sure. So she, you know, and the kids are with her. So <laughs> okay. They're like, daddy. Yeah. So she's just nonchalant. Like, no. Why isn't the driveway done yet? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, go get the Benadryl. Just go get it. You know where it is. Because I was, Sam was on some Benadryl for some summertime allergy shit. Yep. So it was right in the kitchen. I'm just like, go get it and bring it back. So, you know, she went and parked the car, ran up to the house, grabbed it, brought it out. Well, at that point, you know, then the ambulance showed up and it was just the fire department from Howard Lake. Okay. So they pull in and, you know, they get an EpiPen and the guy, he's like, all right, man, this is going to go right here in your leg. And I was like, okay, sounds good. So he like, he slams it in there. You don't feel the needle from that. Really? No, you just feel the pressure because... So when you the do the, Epi, when yep. the EpiPen, when you do that, you take the cap off of both ends yep. and it exposes that little needle or whatever. You jab it into your leg and you have to hold it there for 10 to 15 seconds. And all yep. I felt was a pressure of the push. I never felt a needle or anything. I never got a, like a needle spot or, or nothing. Yeah. Right, right through your pants? Yep. Yep. Right through whatever shorts or pants or whatever I was wearing. Yep. And uh, so he put that into me and then, you know, we're sitting there and, you know, it wasn't instant, but over the next few minutes, you know... Like the dizziness went away. I was okay. still having a hard time taking deep breaths. Yep, but it wasn't and, getting worse. Yeah, anymore. I was like, God damn, I'm gonna be all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make it through this. I'm, I'm gonna survive. And you know, all I can think at that point, I'm thinking, okay, where are my kids? Well, they're, sure. they're sitting in the car. Well, then my brother-in-law pulled in, and she's like, Well, Michael came to watch the kids. So, you know, oh, okay. If, if you got to go to the hospital, I'm like, Well, I don't think I'm going to the hospital. And she's like, Oh, you, yeah, I think you might be. Well, yeah, sure. Shit. They pull a gurney out of the back of the, yeah. the ambulance. They're like, All right, do you think you can get on this? I'm like, Well, yeah. So, you know, I just stand up and sit on it. Yep. And then they strap me in and they take me down the driveway and they're like, they're like, What doctor do you use? Do you go to Cocado or Buffalo? I'm like, Well, my main doctor's out of Buffalo. Like, yep. right, yeah, we'll go there. <laughs> Holy smokes. So as we're going, you know, they're asking me all these questions and everything. And they're like, Well, we're going to have to meet up with an Alina. Um, 
ambulance, you know, okay. since we gave you an EpiPen, one of them needs to come in and go through everything with you. Okay. I was like, okay. So we just stopped on County Road 9 and 107, and we pulled over on the shoulder, light still flashing. Yep. And the other ambulance pulled up, and the guy gets in the back, and he's like, so... You got stung 150 times? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, over dispatch. It said like 100 to 150 times. So I was like, no, like 10 to 15. He's oh. like, he was like, shit, I got in here thinking, God, this guy's just going to be swollen. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, great. You know, you guys' system works great. I mean, I'm a little overweight, but geez. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad yeah, that, the lady was listening when I was talking to her. Yeah, that's, that's the reason why I had the head. Yeah, so. Damn, the so, swelling still started yep, to come Yep, so he, got, he hopped. He hopped in and got an IV into me and gave me some other stuff and and he they were telling him okay so you got he's got fifty mils of Benadryl and then he got one EpiPen and the guy looks at me and he's like well that saved your life right there really I'm just like really damn I mean there's a reason why they have yeah, EpiPens exactly and my like my dad's allergic to bees so he's got an EpiPen with him at all times during the summer and fall yeah. and everything but like I like I said I've never had an episode or anything right any time I've ever been stung. So they, we go up to Buffalo and we go to the ER and doctor comes in and checks me over and he's like, all right, well, we're just going to keep you here until the swelling and everything goes down. And I'm like, well, I'm thinking, well, I'm not that swollen. Mm-hmm. He looks in my throat. He's like, oh yeah, that was pretty swollen in there. He's really? like, that might take a couple hours to go down. So I think we sat in the ER for an hour or two <sighs> before they released me. And then the, the, the one nurse or the the one paramedic that was driving the other ambulance came in mm-hmm. while we were sitting there and she was just talking to me. She's like, well, I'm glad you're feeling okay. She's like, now, did anybody tell you that next time it'll be worse? And I'm like, oh, no. She's like, yeah, next time, you know, you're, it's probably going to be worse and it's probably going to happen quicker. Oh. So make sure you carry that EpiPen with you. And I'm just like, Fuck. so you got an EpiPen now? So now you I've do got, that when you go grow something? I got two. Yeah. Seriously. For the, for the first part of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And, like I was thinking like, so the, previous weekends before this happened we were cutting courses up in the up in the state right. forest and i didn't have an epi yeah. or anything like that you know we're or a gravel driveway to have yeah. an ambulance come you know, down we're, we're our courses average you know for an hour-long course it's like up to two and a half miles oh scary. and at any point you're you know up to a mile away from any road or anything right and then you're you know, a half hour from any hospital yep and i'm just thinking in my head well what the hell would have happened if i would have hit a a yellow right. jacket nest out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Like, these guys aren't going to carry my ass out of here. <laughs> you know, what are they going to do? Bring a med chopper in? <laughs> I'm still waiting on the bill from the ambulance. Dude. I haven't oh, seen yeah. that yet. Oh, you don't want to see that. But, no, but like, so they gave, they sent a prescription over to Cub for me for my EpiPen or whatever. And like, I've always heard these EpiPens are so damn expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, shit, how much is this going to cost? And the the one nurse at the at the ER told me, he's like, so... These EpiPens, you know, the expiration date is like three years. He's yep. like, don't throw them away. He's like, I've talked to the manufacturers and I've talked to doctors about this. He said, even when they're expired, they're still up to 85% effective. Okay. So it's a lot He's better like, than so, so don't throw it away. He's like, worst case, you give yourself two. Yep. You know? You're not, that's not going to hurt you. Yeah. And, right. he's, and he's like, you know, they can be pretty expensive. I don't know how you're set up for insurance or anything, but like if you've met your deductible for the year, try and talk to your doctor to see if you can get a new prescription for an EpiPen so you get it cheaper sure. than you would at the beginning of the year. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I had my wife go and pick one up, pick it up like a day or two later, 10 bucks. 
What? For two of them. What? Yeah. <laughs> I must have some damn good insurance. I guess. Awesome. Well, I know we met our deductible with our kids. So I, I, I did not know like the the reaction. Like like I said, I just got your Snapchat right away. Yeah. Which was like, I mean, I could tell you were hurting. Yeah. But I didn't know. Like I didn't think you were having that kind of reaction. Yeah. Well, like at that point, like when I was, well, when I took the first Snapchat, when I after I had run down the driveway. Yeah. I was just like, the adrenaline's God. pumping in. Like, God, this fucking sucks. You know, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. show people what I all yeah. did. You know, like I made it. You know, I've almost cut a half a mile of, of ditch on my driveway total now right. and made it almost all the way back up to the house before I hit this. And then when I sent the one in the ambulance, I just wanted to see what people were going to say because yeah. I, I felt pretty good by then. You know, like sure. The, Once they got the that dizziness in, yeah. and everything went right. down, and they're like, "Yeah, you're going to be fine." And I was like, "Okay, well, here, snap." Right. You know, take a picture. And, of my and feet the, yeah, it was just your feet. And <laughs> you're like, still having fun or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. At least you weren't stubborn, thinking that you're going to be fine. Oh. At least you called. No, that that would have been bad. That would have been bad. Yeah. But like, so then I had to go to the doctor later that week to just meet with my doctor. Sure. And talk about everything, and they told me to, you know. That one nurse said I should get tested. Yeah. See, then like, get don't. blood work to see if I'm actually allergic or if it was just because of that many stings. Sure. Because I had told them, you know, I've never had a reaction before. So they're like, yeah, you might want to get some blood work done just to see if you're actually allergic or if yep. it was just the number of stings you got done. I'm like, okay. So I met with my doctor and she, I had told her, well, hey, you know, they told me I should do this. And she's like, well, you know, I, I'm fairly certain you're allergic to that many stings if it happened. Right. She's like, if you want to do blood work, we can. You know, but she's like, I would just say carry an EpiPen to be safe. Right. And I'm like, all right. She's like, well, you know what? Screw it. Let's just do the, let's do the blood test. Okay. So they took out two little vials or whatever. And then I got the results back. So I'm not allergic to honeybees. Oh, that's good. So I can still be a beekeeper. <laughs> but I am allergic to yellow jackets, hornets, and wasps. Oh, and yeah. And they, they break it down the for you. The ones that actually want to get Yeah, you. the ones yeah. that are mean little bastards. Yeah. yeah. And they actually break it down like by categ- like level of... Reaction or whatever. Yeah, reaction. So it's on a scale from like one to a hundred. And I am on, for yellow jackets and wasps and hornets, I am on the high, mild to low, moderate. Okay. So not life-threatening, I'm taking it, but still probably carrying EpiPens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, if it's 10 to 15 stings again, yeah. Right. Better have one. Right. And it could have easily been more than that. Yeah. I mean, like I was, I was really surprised because, like, when when I noticed them, I looked down and they were everywhere, everywhere. just all over me, and I didn't have any, <laughs> I didn't have any stings on my front. It was all my arms, my shoulders, and like back up behind my neck, and I yep. think that was just because that was where my exposed skin was. Right. Like I know uh. I got stung in the back, but the the reactions later, like days after, two days after, this whole left arm. Like, I got stung on the forearm here. This whole arm was, like, double the size, red, and tight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For, like, two to three days afterwards. <laughs> but, the like, the stings on my back, you couldn't even tell they were there anymore. Sure. So, I don't know if it was just because it was through clothes and they didn't get, like, direct. Because I was right. freaking, like, I looked like a crazy person. Oh, <laughs> right. I, know, I can imagine. You know, I'm, I'm spinning circles, swinging at them and everything. Yeah. I do with one bee on me, oh. nonetheless. Yeah, so yeah. now now anywhere we go and the kids see a bee, yeah, there's a bee, there's a bee. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, okay, we'll kill it then. I, I don't know what to tell you, bud. I love it, man. That's yeah, great. So That's they're, a good they're, they're all paranoid now, and I'm just like, well, I'm not going to let it change my life. Yeah, I'll try not to hit another nest. <laughs> right, right? I'm not going to be afraid of one. I'll try and kill the one. <laughs> Every time you go down your driveway, well, this is where the incident. Yeah. Well, I, had, I have a buddy that's an exterminator, so he came out and took care of that nest for me, oh, that man. hive. 
They, the, he just put some powder shit on it. Like it's called 1% dust or something. Mm-hmm. And he just covered it with it. Okay. And I haven't noticed like a, for like a week after it happened, I would stop at that spot. Yeah. Just stare those fuckers down. What are they doing? Be like, are you still there? <laughs> just stop at that spot and all of a sudden they start coming back. <laughs> Come again. I got you. the same problem. You know? So, yeah. <laughs> at the next field trial, the guy from Pennsylvania is going to come up and be like, here's some here's some honey, Joe. And he's going to go into a flashback and just start freaking <laughs> out. <laughs> no! Just like, nom. So now, now if I go cut courses, I'm required by my wife to have somebody with me yeah fair like, enough no, no more going on alone fair enough so i'm, I'm really looking forward to freezing temperatures where all them things die yes. i don't have to worry about them no b issues yeah well i'm glad you're still here joe me too <laughs> god damn hopefully a b don't take me <laughs> oh, i love it well, thank you for coming over. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, anytime. I'd like to see some updates, and hopefully, I can make it over to the field trial. I really want to. I want to see this. Yeah, it. That'd so it'll start. It'll start Monday morning. Um, first brace hits the ground at eight o'clock, and like I said, we run six braces a day, hour-long braces. We're gonna have lunch during. I have. I'm in charge of lunch the first day. I'm gonna make pheasant wild rice soup. Ooh. I I heard sloppy Joe's. One day, and I don't know what the other day will be. We're we're planning on three solid days, possibly four. Okay. Well, cool. Fun. Yeah. Well, I think we should just wrap her up. What do you think? Sounds like a plan. All right. With Border Outdoors, I'm Mac. I'm Seth. And I'm Joe. We'll catch you guys later. Thanks for listening to the Border Outdoors podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Links are provided at borderoutdoors.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. Tell your friends, and we'll see you at the border.